got Charlie Sifarelli back in, the star, famous dog, new book out, cartoon coming in along the way, song. Thank you for coming back in, Charlie. Thank you, Tommy, for having me, and thank you for your listeners. So they've gotten past the title by now and your first thumbnail, so now it's up to me to keep them listening. I got 30 seconds to a minute before they click on or click off, So, um, and they got the comment section if they don't like what I'm going to deliver here, but I got quite a story. So if somebody didn't see the first one, just give a little bit of a recap of the situation with Star, what you did, so on and so forth, for those that don't know. Okay, if you're new to this story, and um, a lot of people are, although it went uh, pretty global. In 2012, uh, I was sitting at my desk at uh, my waste management company, not the waste management, but a waste management company, and um, I saw a dog in Daily News that had been shot and supposedly killed by the New York City police. And the story jumped out at me. It was a homeless man on the street. It was his pit bull. She was shot in the head. Headline said she was dead. You know, a little background on me. I was a scorekeeping transactional guy. I only believed what I could see. I'm a guy originally, you know, from the street, went and worked at prison, and now here I am with a white-collar job running a successful trash business. Um, and I changed my life, man. I, I, for some reason, I didn't believe the dog died. Now, in the picture in the paper that you saw, was it the one? I don't like to put that the whole the nasty one. Yeah, this, this is the least grim of them all. Yeah, but was this the picture in the paper? It was the picture what you have right there, and her laying flat out. It appears that she bled out, and there was a video of this horrific, horrific shooting. And right here, th- this is the picture prior to the actual. That's a screen grab from the actual video. Right. And that guy there, the homeless man who owned Star at the time, he was having a seizure and Star was just protecting his owner, correct? That's exactly correct. He he had a seizure and people were concerned that he was going to get hit by a car. I mean, he's convulsing on the street and they went and got the police. Now, for the police credit, they cordoned off the area, but a lady thought she was going to be an animal trainer and try to get close to Star, and she got run off, run off, and then Star circled back when the officer came in. The officer drew his gun, shot her once in the head. And then the other officer maced her, and this event was going to change my life right then and there. Right then and there, I was going to become a different person, and we'll get into why and how, and I saw some pretty horrible things in my life. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, I consider working in the Department of Corrections, the penitentiary, as generally, I never had an opportunity to go to college. I mean, I used to walk the yard thinking I was in college, you know. I mean, that's the way I felt. <clears throat> I I really felt good there because, hey, listen, I was the police there. You got towers with rifles, binoculars. I'm safe. And I walked the yard, get some sun, and uh, felt like I was on a college campus. Well, what was not funny about the situation was <clears throat> that, how do you get over the cop? Because when we talked about this before, because mm-hmm. at first you want to blame the cop. Absolutely. Like, like, what are you doing? But then yeah. when you think about it and the heat of the moment, you don't know what that dog's going to do. Guy's having a seizure, wild animal. What do you do? You know, it's a tough situation. Very tough. You know, I'm a career dog guy. I mean, I had somebody in South Jersey that had a pit bull locked in an apartment for a month, didn't walk it. And the kids across the hall were taunting the dog. And when the lady opened the dog up for me to rescue it, uh, the dog seen me as the enemy. And, 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 and I've got some nice, nice wounds on my forearms from that. But 
I don't blame dogs. I blame the humans that create the atmosphere. So we don't, I, I, I wanted to blame somebody when this happened. But here's the reality of this. If anything different happened here, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you. I wouldn't be sitting in front of a lot of people, and I wouldn't be doing podcasts. There would be no opportunity for me to carry a message, which I hope, which I hope to do today. Now, we, we know Star, but how Star all came about. So where did you grow up? I was born in East Harlem, New York. I was born in a clinic. When you say clinic, what do you mean clinic? My father had been away. Um, prison? Prison, long term. I mean, he made the front page in the 1956 Daily News, him and uh, Joseph and Briglia, <clears throat> career criminals. They went to stick up a cabaret, and uh, a cop showed up, and the gun was put in the cop's stomach, and it misfired. And uh, my father and Joe went away um, <clears throat> and got out in 64. Uh, my father met my mother. Here I am born. If that gun would have went off, I would have never been born. And from there, our lives would change. But initially, I started off in East Harlem, then, of, then of course, Queens, and then Long Island, too. Aesthetically, a nice-looking life, but it really wasn't. What wasn't nice about it? Um, if I thought I was a street guy, my father had me tenfold. Um, and I've always been a guy that... Um, Asked a lot of questions, felt a little too much for him, and I think he wanted me to be a different guy, and uh, he didn't have patience with me, so he used his hands on me quite quite regularly. And, you know, not proud of it, man. By eight years old, I was getting, you know, thrown out of the house. I was looking for uh, food at eight years old, and that's not a good place to be at eight years old. So I've always been in survival mode, even when, I mean, the f- movie, I always like to simulate different movies into my life, trading trading places. I mean... There's rooms I don't go into the house. Closet, I look at the clothes. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that still goes on with me. Is that my stuff? Is this? Yeah. You know, I just... What, what is it about the closet? What, what well, brings that, like, flashback where you're looking in the I, I never had nothing, Tommy. I, I never had nothing growing up. It was just a miserable way of existing. So I had all this stuff going on <clears throat> early in life. When you're supposed to be getting a little stronger, a little bit more confident, it wasn't working for me. And... You know, I wind up growing up, and I'm a little disheveled, you know? Um, and what I look to do is I look to do whatever I can to be tough on the outside. When that's the last thing I really... I need to be tough on the inside. Right, before you can be tough on the outside. you got to be tough on the inside. Now, in that time period, though, was that common? Like, for, for young men that have an alpha father... You know, back then to get a, an ass beating, hey, you don't do right, you get kicked out of the house. Was that more? Was that a common thing back then? That was a common thing. Okay, and I'm going to get listeners. They're going to say, "Hey, Charlie, you know, uh, you know, it sounds like me and you had the same father." But my father had a different level of volatility. What's the word? Volatility. Volatility. He was about 175 pounds, and he had energy. And when he got mad, it looked like lightning hit him. <laughs> and I saw him in action. I mean, he got pissed I wasn't using the family pool that he had to work to put up. <laughs> he took one of the old-fashioned edgers that you edged the lawn back then in the old days, and he went around the outside of the pool and he edged that liner until 15,000 gallons of water blew out. <laughs> um, I mean, I know it's that situation. You know, he, listen, here, though, you know. listen, he's fighting with my mother. She decides to jump out of the car in a parking lot. It was almost comical. I mean, she jumped out probably not, not too fast, but 10 miles, 15 miles an hour. And it was like a cartoon. She was able to keep up the speed, and she didn't fall. 
And you're and you're watching all I'm this watching as you're it. growing up, like what the hell is and going on? And my father on? says, Oh yeah, okay. And you know, he strategically clipped it with the car with the bumper and sent it flying. I mean, this is not normal growing up. But I'll go on to work in prison later and I'll find that there always is worse. But I didn't know worse. I knew that I was getting thrown out starting at eight, twelve, thirteen. And you know, my I'm scoring loaves of bread early in the morning before the supermarket opened and the bread trucks drop off. So I'm already starting off on the wrong foot. So so at eight years old, boom, you're out of the house. You're pretty much homeless. He kicked you out? He kicked me out, but luckily, luckily, when I was eight, it wasn't it was just a day, a night. It was a night till it was time to come back in. Um, but when I came back in, you know, my mother called the police and that was my first interaction with the police and uh I would go on to call them my savior. You know, later on, I'd have some difficulty with them. And then ultimately, working in prison, I would have both sides of the whole thing and be able to really draw a good conclusion of what I feel. So how old were you when the first, when really kicked out? Kicked 12 out. years old. You were 12, you were out. 12 years old, I was out for weeks. Weeks with no money, no transportation, and basically living in a schoolyard where they had concrete tunnels back in the old days it's, and I'd sleep in the middle so if you came into the left or the right I'd hear you and I could go out the other end and I liked the parking lot at the school because that's where the cops hung out and they'd meet there and they'd park driver to driver and if they got a call back then most likely they, they often would throw their food out in the parking lot and I'd grab it at 12 years old at 12 years old should. yeah 12 years old so now you're, you're are you going to school or is that I'm, just out the window? I'm going to school, but I'm in survival mode. Wow. They, m- my mother and father knew to throw me out over the summers. They, they knew. It, it was they done. Timed. Yeah, they timed it. It was, it was good. But they threw me out when I was 13 when the school year was on, and uh, that was a problem for them. That, it started to become some problems for them. So now at 13, what happens when they throw you out when you have school going on? This is the fourth time, basically, you've been thrown out, if not more. Yes. You, you, you were thrown out at 12 for how many weeks? feeding yourself, you know, living in a parking lot, you know. You know, Tommy, and here's the thing. I'm living in a good town in Long Island, okay? We're living in a beautiful home. Thank goodness for that. Right? My, Yeah, my father goes from having no prison, no money. He's in the concrete business. He's in the concrete business, but he doesn't get dirty in the concrete business, and he's comfortable. And we're living in a town that a lot of, a lot of people from the Gambino family uh, lives in the same town. So, you know... I grew up around those guys, and uh, you know it take me years later to really connect the dots. But I, I, I got to tell you, we grew up amongst a lot of people that were notables, uh, in good and bad. In the town I grew up, I'm not ashamed to say, it. I'm proud of the town, Merrick. I mean, you had Michael Kors, you had The Godfather, um, Mario Puzo, you had Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, uh, yeah. that's right. You had you had the founder of Stephen Barry's Clothing, which I used to deliver papers with. I mean, uh, newspapers. So it was. Um, it was, it was the right town to grow up in if you were living a normal life. And now, when you're- This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, 
and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast, Monster Energy. This episode is sponsored by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels are dropping substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Low testosterone can have all type of health effects. It can affect your muscle mass, memory, mood, sex drive, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. They're a worldwide leader in at-home testing kits, and their male hormone test lets you easily test your testosterone levels at home. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next-day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available to you in your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician and a member of Let's Get Check nursing team may call you to review your results. Let's Get Check laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which is the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash MSCS. Special offer for MSCS media viewers. Use promo code MSCS at checkout and get 30% off your test. The link is in the description below at the top. This episode is brought to you by Aurora. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and there's a new victim every 14 seconds. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aurora, who is sponsoring this video. Aurora is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all combined into one easy-to-use app. Aurora monitors the dark web for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers and sends alerts fast, right to your phone and email. Don't put your family at risk. Try Aurora for free for two weeks and see if your personal identifiable information has leaked to the dark web. Start your free trial at HTTPS colon backslash backslash A-U-R-A dot com backslash M-S-E-S. Link is in the description below. You're 13 and you're going into school, a homeless kid. Everybody else is going back to mom and dad or, yeah. or one of the two. What is that like going in there? Like, how do you shower? How do you clean? You know, you I mean, don't. You're not you ready don't, for that. You don't. You don't. You don't. Listen, you don't. And and once that's done to you as a young age, you know, I rescue dogs. And I see the difference from a dog that I have since he's a baby. He's got the confidence unbelievable. He's never worried that a meal's coming or not coming. He's not worried. Uh, sirens, lightning. He's confident. But the shelter dogs that I get from the shelters, from whether Philly, whether it be from New York, those dogs are always worried about if there's going to be another meal. They're cautious. They're in survival. They're beyond a little bit beyond survival mode. Dogs seem to rebound better than humans. But that started me off in a place that I never have really been able to get away from that completely. Well, that that explains why the attraction to those dogs is because, especially the rescues, because weren't you living the same way, looking for that meal, Brother, having an, an escape route one way or another? I mean, I, I got to tell you something. Talk about a, a human dog connection shit. You know, I want to say something on your show. How can you not love these dogs? And the people that want to say negative things about the dogs, the bully breeds, the Dobermans, well, you don't hear about the Dobermans anymore. The media doesn't, they don't, they stop biting. The German Shepherds don't bite no more. It's only pit bulls. And anything's called a pit bull now. A Labrador overweight's a pit bull. 
a Rhodesian Ridgeback, Ridgeback that's got extra. Everything is a pit bull until I do the DNAs and I'm like, oh my goodness. Why is that? Because before everybody used to be like Doberman, German Shepherd, few, wash the fuck out. Yeah, there's a that. few reasons. There's a few reasons. They're a very powerful dog, okay? Uh, they don't lock, okay? This locking nonsense, my Jack Russell supposedly locks, okay? And he won't let go of something that you want to take. There's no locking mechanism. The powerful dogs and weak people make these dogs aggressive, okay? And that could be done. You take the nicest person, you could get them aggressive. Now, on top of that, we, we've seen it recently with Mike Tyson. You bother him long enough, even though he's got a, <laughs> a, a pot farm and he's a gentleman with great, great motivational speech, you keep on bothering a man, you hit him with a water bottle, he's going to come at you. And guess what? There were people that pointed the finger, look at that. No. So Italy, where, I, where my family hails from originally, they put a ban on all pit bulls. Then the thugs made the next dog, Cane Corsos, and they kept on going down until they had to ban Dalmatians. And this is all online. This stuff can be looked at. So there are people that are going to say, well, we adopted a pit bull from the shelter and he bit, and that can happen. We don't know these dogs' background. And... In an insane world, in an insane world, people want sane dogs. If the human beings, the two-legged with high IQ, are spinning out of control, how is man's best friend going to act? I mean, we have to look at stuff about what's going on. I mean, we are, as a society, getting really crazy. I don't get into the political stuff because I've been saved on every possibility of no chance to be saved. I've been saved. So help comes from everywhere. But as far as the dogs, we're going to get into this. So when I decided to get a dog. Is this at 13? No. This is, this is I want to go back for a second. I want to go forward and go back. So in 2010, I decided to get a dog. I want a small dog. I want a dog that's a Jack Russell. I want him to be a cute little muscular dog. So I get this dog. This dog creates me more headaches than I could ever imagine. <laughs> I take him to a dog park. He wound up biting, of all dogs, a pit bull on the lip, and he wouldn't let go. So the dog was going in circles. So I had to deal with that. Vet Bill, I had to deal with that. So I had this, this, this Jack Russell. And the reason why I got this Jack Russell is I didn't realize this. I wanted something that was masculine. I suffer from a little toxic masculinity. Who doesn't? But I blocked out in my head what happened as a kid. And I, my significant other, Jen, would bring up different things, different dogs. Well, I go to dog park, and I'd have an attitude against these pit bulls. And I didn't realize I had suppressed that my boyhood dog was a pit bull. Oh. I had suppressed that. It would take a filmmaker in 2020 to say to me, Charlie, there's some stuff going on here. There's a reason why you rescued this dog, Star. There's more going on. So, Tommy, we'll get here in a second. So, we, we're back to 12 or 13, the homeless shit, all that crazy stuff. So, I finally get out of my house at 17 years old. And I found the easiest way to take care of myself was to lift weights, to eat, to punch a heavy bag, uh, back when I was a kid growing up, I was the uh, 
Bruce Lee, the art of fighting, whatever. The, he had a series one through four of Jeet Kune Do. I learned a few of those moves. And I, and I, and I just continue to remember what he said. Practice just a few moves, get proficient. So I'm doing all this stuff. But where are you at, though? You're 17, 18. Yeah. You're, you're out, out. Where are you? I, I'm, I'm out of my parents' house. 17, I get out. I where get do out. you go? I wind up um, in an apartment. But I wind up with a job at a big nightclub in Long Island, Malibu. A very big, a very big nightclub. It's the place. I mean, tuxedos, the whole bit that you wear. Cumberbund. So I got a job at a nightclub. And I'm a young guy, 17. The drinking age is 18 at the time. They hired me sooner. And, you know, I look like, uh, I look like a young version of Joe Klecko because I could fill out pretty, pretty thick. Was that your first real job? That was my first, outside of the newspapers, yeah, some yeah, gear, yeah. that was my first real job is working in a nightclub. And I was a by-the-book guy, starting out. I mean, the guys were sniffing coke in the bathroom. No, you get out. But I quickly was getting into altercations. And a lot of times, I think I should have been thrown out. I was the guy creating more of a problem because I discovered alcohol. I discovered shots of vodka. So the bartenders knew I was a wild man because I had all this suppressed anger. So they handed me this white stuff, clear stuff called Absolute. <laughs> and I'm drinking these shots, and I can't believe to prevent... I, I mean, I could drink a lot of alcohol. And the more I'm drinking, the more I find out we're having problems. So, <clears throat> finally, I mean, I'm running after a guy, tackle him in a parking lot, and, and they just, at some point, they just, between that, and then I had an arrest, um... I broke a bunch of store windows out. Uh, my cousin got in a fight with me. Um, and I broke out a bunch of store windows with my hands. And between that, arrest. And what happened in the nightclub, they fired me. And was this all a result of the drinking? It was a result of the drinking, Tommy. But I mean, I understand, like, yeah. the past has a, a lot to yeah. do with that. But the drinking brought out the anger? It maybe? brought out the anger. But Tommy, the I, I got my hands on back then. It was no big thing to get some pain pills. I mean, there was stuff called Percodan back then, which was light, but then there's uh, Delorteds. So I had older guys that at the club would tell me, hey, man, you know. Try this. Try this. And, and, and Tommy, I'm a young guy, but I'm already busted up. I mean, I'm already a guy busted. I've been in a lot of fights. I'm scarred up from these fights. And I got all this rage that I never dealt with. I mean, I was a punching bag for my father. And because I was a punching bag for him, that never got addressed. Now, was he a tough guy? Looking back, well, I remember one time he did stick up for me. Me and my brother threw some fireworks. And the kids with Corvette, they were probably 22, 24. Big guys, looked like football players back then because they filled up the whole front seat of that Corvette back then in a long-bodied 78, 79. My father came out of the house, ran down, ran up the hood, jumped into the open T-tops, <laughs> threw the keys out of the ignition, and resulted in punching this guy between the eyes, his oh. head blew up like a pumpkin, and he was beating the shit out of these kids. And he gets out of the car, and the party they came from, people coming out, and he's dropping people. When the police finally show up, and people are laying down, <laughs> they, they cannot believe, they're trying to tell him, which I'll learn years later in the Department of Corrections, they, they would put a wrist lock on him and take him down. Oh, no, 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 no. This guy was fair. He reminds me of uh, McGregor. I mean, he just was able to kick, just punch, an animal. and move. And then when somebody was going to, like when you watch football, and all of a sudden you think a guy's going to get tackled, and all of a sudden he completely switches positions, he was switching positions. Almost like a cut, like a real sharp cut. Sharp cut. I guess whatever happened in Dannemora and Clinton... <laughs> 
uh, for the nine years he was up there. He, he learned some skills. I mean, this guy learned some skills, and he was a fighter. And he was even till in his 70s, he looked like a guy you just didn't want to jack with. Um, so I get through all that. Now, was he hitting you above the neck? Like, was he hitting you in the head? He was hitting the head everywhere. Really? He was hitting in the head. I took some shots from him. That I was getting hit like a man, and that's and that's bullshit. Do you have flashbacks today from that? Like, do you have dreams sometimes of that happening now? I I don't believe it or not. I don't have that. But you know, I, I do things that regular people probably don't do. You know, I'm cautious in the shower. I know I'm vulnerable in the shower, so I'm always looking. And I have never had. I've not had a problem in the shower, but that's a spot where I'm vulnerable. I'm told I sleep with my arms crossed. I always look around and I always pay attention. And, you know, take all this and a few years away, I'm going to be working for the big house. I'm going to work three maximum security prisons. I'm going to see and deal with serial killers and all this stuff. But before we get there. How you got there is really interesting. And all these little things like that had happened all led to positives all the negatives you found a way in your life to yes. turn to negatives now that doesn't take away from what had happened to you and what goes through your mind but a career and fucking financially wise it worked out all right your head maybe not <laughs> it worked out but you know um i mean that in a nice way i, I think i'm not still if it makes you feel like I, I, you know it's it, it is what it is but you know what i persevered and um the only downside that almost killed me and we talked about this in the last episode is I grew up in a nice town, and when I got whacked out on the drugs, I didn't want to um, make a mess of my own hometown. So basically, I went to the worst neighborhood, the worst place I possibly could go. Listen, I'm a street-savvy guy. Where am I going to go where the police won't arrest me, I can get the drugs, and they're too busy robbing and stealing themselves and that's the seven five precinct which of course we know with the documentary and mike and the rest of the crew that that did that and um i was there and uh i i, I survived you know people go to war and i gotta tell you we all have our own story and i'm not at all trying to say my story is the same as that because it's all self-imposed if you want to completely point the finger at me and say addiction is totally my fault Okay, you have a right to say that. But I had a choice the first time I took a drug. But after I took that drug, the drug took me. And then once I found the pain relief from that drug, you see, I, I wasn't a guy that was into cocaine. I never did meth. I wanted stuff to take my pain away. But that painkillers, whether it be pills, heroin, drinking methadone, made me that fucking violent you can drink methadone you could drink methadone really yeah i guess now you know i don't keep up on this but there's suboxone whatever. i don't know what that is but, but back then you could drink it. you could drink it fucking see because i'll tell you what <clears throat> when i was in the streets i have a v8 vegetable juice and i'd have and the methadone, methadone in there because if the police were going to come up on me i would yeah, drink that i would drink that in case they took me to jail i would not percolate like bruce lee kicking i mean i would be able to get through there three days or whatever but as as luck or not luck would have it, I was not building a, a, a police record. It just was happening like that. Uh, but I spent six years. I spent, um, well, almost six years, uh, five years from 87 to 92 <clears throat> reporting for duty in the East New York section of Brooklyn. And why did you say that the cops in East New York wanted to kill you? Well, it got to that point at one point because uh, the regular cops, they're busy doing what they're doing. 
listen, I, I got to overemphasize this. Even in the most corrupt areas, there's always legitimate people. I mean, we've seen American Gangster. There's always people that are ethically and morally correct and they're incorruptible. But I used that place so I knew that I wouldn't get a police record and I'd be able to roll. But eventually, um, they had something called a TNT, Tactical Narcotics Task Force. And it was formed about 1989 after New York City police officer Edward Burns was assassinated in his police car guarding a drug witness in Jamaica. It was a very, very sad situation. He was 22 years old, and they shot him. And that was bad news. And rightfully so, the police and the mayor put together this TNT, and they went after anybody that was using, selling, and doing anything. And on this particular day, when I went to buy drugs, I realized I bought the drugs, and there was a lot of cops coming at me, okay, from multiple vehicles that were unmarked. So what do I decide to do? I don't stop. I mean, they're running out of their cars, guns. I take off. You just run like hell? I run on, I, you know, get the car up to um, 100 miles an hour. Now, it's hard to and do that And this is fucking downtown New York? No, no, this is, this is Brooklyn. Now, it's, it's, it's oh. yeah, it's still, it's, it's a place back then that's pretty burnt out, pretty desolate, but. Yeah, I'm thinking of it now. Yeah. Well, we're, what year is this? This is, this is 89. This yeah. is 89. So, Tommy, I, I basically do that. And eventually, when I got done chewing, uh, swallowing, <laughs> opening up packages, by the time they finally get me, there's nothing to take. How high were you? Oh, no, no, I don't get high anymore. I get straight. Oh, this just got yeah, you. You yeah, just had just enough got, money to no, get you straight. It just got me straight. <laughs> so now... I thought you ate like a ton of shit. Well, it did, but it just got me straight. It just got me straight. I had a gorilla on my back. So <laughs> the the cops, the sergeant leading this charge, they all got guns pulled out. I mean, I thought it was Dirty Harry. I didn't think the, the, the cops playing clothes had uh, wheel guns. But they back then, they did have wheel guns, but this was a big wheel gun. What's a wheel gun? A uh, revolver oh. with a long barrel. Oh, okay. I mean, I think... Like one the, of the fucking... Like Dirty Harry movies, special. Yeah, yeah, where they shoot it and a flag pops yeah. out, but this is really a bullet in there? Yeah, so they were taken back. They asked me if I had any family on the job, and I, I did. I had a cousin, girl cousin, that moved up at least a lieutenant. I think at the time, she might have been heading to a captain or a captain in Manhattan. And I kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to do that. Disgrace her. So, <clears throat> they... Um, they lock me up, and uh, they go looking for, the, for whatever residue they can do, and they bring me down to the 7-5 and stick me in a cell by myself. And they take him back a little bit, Tommy, because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a guy that's about 230-some-odd pounds. I don't look like a drug addict. I mean, to people, they thought I was a cop. They thought I was a football player. And I was perplexing him a little bit. And um, the cop says to me, you got a real bad attitude. And I wasn't backing down. I said, I didn't want to hear nothing, you know. And he says, you know, you could leave here in a body bag. The choice is yours. I said, are you going to kill me? He says, things happen. And, and you know, back then, I believed him. I mean, maybe now. I still believe him now. I believe it more now than uh, then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, there's only me <laughs> and him, and there's no witnesses to this thing, okay? So well, now, now they're just paid off. Now I'm saying to myself, you know, this ain't good. So here's what I say to him. I finally pulled a card out. I said, look, I do have family on the job. Supervisor. And there's a record that I came to this precinct today. A lot of people know. The neighborhood knows. You locked me up. There's radio traffic. If I don't leave here, 
there's going to be problems. So, what did he say? What he he, he, say? he was he was perplexed. You know, I got to tell you something. He was a big guy. I mean, he was a big guy. I mean, um, in height, and he's older. Listen, I'm a young guy. In '89, I'm 20 some odd years old. I mean, you know, he was confident that he would have whipped my butt if he felt like it, or maybe took it to the next level. So, here's what happens. You know, they take me and they transfer me to another precinct, the 90th precinct. And uh, I don't never know why they did that, but they did that for me. And I sit there for days. And um, the lieutenant and the precinct was very kind to me. He goes, son, what are you doing, man? What are you doing in this neighborhood? What's going on? I mean, I never was so, I'm not a big McDonald's eater even back then, but I was never so happy for a McDonald's hamburger. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is good. So I got to court and I got to court late. And you got 72 hours, I guess, to be uh, arraigned. Yes, I don't guess. I know that. You got 72 hours. So there was nothing came out of this. And I never went back, Tommy, and got my car to the impound lot. I just never did nothing. What did the prisons, what was the prisons like in 89 or whenever that was? What was that like? Well, back then you went to the, um, you went to the uh, precinct, which had a little mini jail in there. And then from there you went to Central Booking. And then you would have went to Rikers. But I never got oh, to right that to point. Rikers, huh? Yeah, I never got to that point. I got to the central booking, and then from central booking, I went in front of the judge, and he cut me loose. You got loose. You know the funny thing about this? I was so miserable. I was sick from having no dope. I was dirty, and I was hungry. I said, I get out of this place with no record. I'll kiss the ground. I got out of that damn courthouse on Skimhorn Street. I looked at the ground. Not this time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time, right? Maybe next time. Not this time. So I got out, Tommy. I got out. And, um, you know, this will go on back and forth, but we're, now we're going to enter the dog. Somewhere along the line. Well, you, before Star comes along, you had two dogs prior to that. And one had got hit by a car. Is yeah, that right? We're going to talk about, yeah. I had Ringo, my original dog from when I was a kid, which is right. a German Shepherd. Okay. And uh, he was named after the Beatles. And we took him back then. We had a few good years. We went to Woodstock. We, 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 we didn't get in, but my father still wanted to be around that atmosphere. So here's what happens. After this arrest, I realize I can't go to East New York anymore because these cops are on to me. I got to find a way to legally go there. So I find a soda delivery company that so happens to go not only to East New York, they go to uh, the Bronx, they go to they go to neighborhoods. All your spots. All my, they wouldn't <laughs> want to be found there. And they go to 14th and 2nd. They go to every place a guy would need to go if he's up to no good. So I interview, and there's some cheap soda. Back then it's called Jamaica Natural. This stuff is like dye glow. I mean, it's orange, it's green. I'll live on the stuff to keep me going with calories. <laughs> I, you can become skinny fat. You're skinny all over, but you got a gut. So I wind up <clears throat> getting a truck, uh, lassoing a truck, cutting a deal, getting a truck, and delivering this soda. And here's the thing about addiction. Addiction, why it's so baffling, is controllable for a while. As you're taking the elevator down, you have opportunities to get out in lobbies every once in a while. Elevator stops. Stop on 16, yeah, 14. Yeah, and you say to yourself, you know what? This ain't that bad. And you have some fun. And if any addict or alcoholic or overeater said, you know what? It was all bad, they'd be lying. There are some things that are comical on the light side. Uh, it's all bad. But there are some things. So on the way down, I get this soda delivery route. And people thought I had beat the addiction. Because not only did I get the soda delivery route, I'm making money, <laughs> and I'm able to pay for my drugs, and I'm able to live my life, and I wind up 
finding a dog at one of these stops. What, Got, what stop was it? It was a stop on Jamaica Avenue in the outskirts of East New York. I knew you would remember exactly where it was. I remember the situation. <laughs> I remember the dog. He looked like a lion. He was beautiful. And this was the days before, you know, for people that don't know, the pit bulls got demonized when they got put on the cover of Sports Illustrated, okay? And they were used. I remember people saying to me back then, oh, these dogs, you can make them real tough, man. These dogs are great dogs. I mean, I'm like, holy cow. I think of a dog as like Lassie and Rin Tin Tin. You know, that's just not in me. Look, e- even though I eat meat, um, I think about it coming out from the supermarket. If you'd said to me, go kill a cow, I couldn't do it. I've never in my entire life ate, a, ate any seafood. I mean, I just look at a lobster or a crab. I mean, I just want a part of it. You would c- cure me that too if you put, and I was out in the Midwest, so. I actually never hunted in my life and never fished. Wow. I never pulled a fish because I, I feel bad. I really do feel bad. It never did. It's just not my, it, so. Just real quick speaking yeah. on that, do you think Michael Vick should have got the time he got for the dog fighting? You know, it's, in, in crimes and sentences, it's very complicated because we have to, we can't, in America, we don't sentence on our feelings. We don't have an eye for an eye justice system here, okay? And that people have to realize. Um, I think Thomas Jefferson said, um, justice without mercy is cruel. So we don't have an eye for an eye. So I would really have to know what the sentencing guidelines were on that particular case. It's so ugly and sad. I just, you would think that Michael Vick, as much success as he had, he would have wanted to prop up these dogs and do something different. But I, I again, who knows what demons he's got. But that's his deal, okay? I, I will say this about him. You know, I, I don't know either. I just was curious of, <clears throat> of your opinion on it. But I do know when he got out, he did a lot of really good things to help, uh, you know, rescue dogs and everything else. And I, I don't believe that he did it because for probation, I, I really think he meant it. Tommy, and that's a good point. And for those of us that are not spiritual, that don't believe in God, life gives us second chances. It's called tomorrow, okay? Mm-hmm. So your tomorrow is, 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 is completely clean slate. And it bothers me, and it's always bothered me, that inmates serve their time and that their record holds them back. Now, granted, if you're a nurse and you were selling the narcotics of a hospital, and you were never able to complete the steps necessary because you don't, you keep failing, then you can't go back in that line of work. It's not working for you. But in the case of people serving their time, and I don't want to go to the, people hit me with uh, extreme, not everybody's Charlie Manson in prison, and not everybody is, is, a, is a pedophile. There are a lot of, 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 of human beings that have made mistakes, financial embezzlement, uh, fights, driving drunk. There's a whole litany of ways that you can get to prison and, and not be a career criminal or even have been in trouble more than once. But shouldn't it be, even you know, as we're about to get to your, your background as a correction officer, if you get sentenced to five years, three years probation, right? Right. If you do your five years and you finish out your probation, you pay your fine, you pay your monthly probation, that should be wiped. You you did your time. You paid your debts to society. I, I believe it's especially believe it's, if it's not if especially if it's a nonviolent crime, right? Yes. Now explain to me how they keep that on you if you have a felony and you can go in any state that offers marijuana that's federally illegal and get a weed card with a felony. Mm-hmm. Okay, even if they only offer it for medical and not recreational, 
you can go in and get a weed card with a felony, mm-hmm. but you can't go in and get a voting card. Now, well, can Tommy, that, you, just, you, just, you just triggered me. Listen, you've served your time. You you belong voting, okay? You belong voting. And, you know, I become I became an actor my whole life to survive. I mean, I got a story that, that really took me some dark, dark places. You know, the 7-5, you know, fighting, hospitals, you name it, I went through it. And 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 I and I and I got to work three institutions and had the keys to a complete prison system, but hold on one second. I just wanted for people that are following this, so I don't lose my train. Mm-hmm. I adopt this dog that looked like a lion. His name is Kane. He's on a short leash in front of this bodega. He's got no water either because he hit the bowl because he's got no room. But I took a liking to the dog, and the owner had no use for him because he wanted to use him for fighting. And I, he wanted to give him to me, but he didn't. And I had 70 bucks in my pocket. I gave it to him when I got the dog. And I wound up with a friend. And once I got the dog, me and the dog worked. We delivered soda. And I got a little bit of a childhood that I didn't have growing up. And I was a happy guy. Matter of fact, I even got stopped one time by the NYPD. I was doing something. I mean, um, they got me for something, and I didn't have no driver's license on me, and they brought me down to the station. They were concerned about the dog, because I want to hear the good stuff, and they made me follow them, uh, 83rd Precinct in, the, in Bushwick, not a good neighborhood either. Um, and they said, look, you got a dog. We don't want the dog to go to a pound. We don't know who you are. We're going to run your name. If you take off on us, we'll shoot your tires. Now, whether they meant it or not, I don't know. So one car in front of me, one behind me, we went to the 83rd Precinct. They maybe put the air conditioning on the truck. I went in, they checked it out. <laughs> um, and they put me in a bullpen till I was checked out. And lo and behold, my dog came in. And they brought the dog into the precinct. And that's the police that I smile about, the cops. In that the I, 80s. That ain't now. Well, the cops in the, in, the, in the 70s helped me out when I was eight years old. They hugged me when I was thrown out. And my parents said I ran away. They helped me when I was a kid growing up. I got some good interaction when I'm here. And you know what? Except for the one cop that wanted to kill me, um, the 7-5 cops, they were on a mission, man. And um, I just tried to stay clear from these guys. I mean, they were known on the street. I mean, this was this was a posse, man. And they had their deal, and I had my deal, and we all tried to cohabitate. And, you know, you know I did every effort I could to get my drugs because, you know, I went and I... Um, you tried to coexist as clean as possibly you could. But, yes. thi- but this dog here that is now the companion part of what you had lost growing up, yes. what happens to this dog? So what happens to this dog is, like any addict will understand, the drugs surface just like Jaws and you ain't throwing some chum out there to keep it happy. This son of a gun grew. The addiction grew. So it takes more drugs. And then the truck broke down. So I had no income. And now I got no ability to get drugs. And I actually wind up in my apartment with the dog. I wind up hitting bottom. I wind up really hitting bottom. I mean, it's bad news. I mean, you know, the power gets shut off. The eviction notices come. The telephone gets shut off. You know, we're walking around now. The, the truck ain't working. We're, we're begging for food from Burger King managers. And um, eventually, thank goodness, uh, my mother does care for dogs. She sent my father. But before we get there, it got so bad, Tommy. And see, people say to me, well, Charlie, 
I got weak. If you don't eat for long enough, you can get really weak. And I got really weak, not leaving my house. And I got so weak that I got down to only one bottle of salad dressing in the house. That was all that was left. And I would do a squirt. The dog would look at me, I'd give it a squirt. And that was it. As I was in this mental episode of collapsing, my mother sent my father over there. Now this guy, always ramrod straight, good, good posture, he bangs on my front door like the police. Your dad. Oh, when he, I thought the police were there. I said, <laughs> I mean, what are they here for? I open the door and it's him. And he says, what are you doing? Look at you. And he's pissed. My mother sent him there. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to come into the apartment. I'd never let him in the apartment. I said, this is my place. I tried to stick up for myself. He says, let me come in and see how you're living. At that point, Tommy, I knew that he, I wasn't in no shape to fight with him. And I could see the anger coming up on him, and he was going to start belting me. There was no ifs, ands, buts about this. And um, <clears throat> I ran across Atlantic Avenue in Freeport. It's a four-lane highway. It's not a highway. It's a, it's a county road. Its speed limit's probably 35, 40 miles, at least 40 miles an hour. I ran through two lanes that were going west. I get to the east lanes, and I hear, Bam! And it's my dog, Kane, gets hit by a car with mm. such velocity that the grill is busted in this guy's Toyota Corolla or whatever it was back then. I think it was a Toyota. And the dog gets back up and gets hit by a second car. Mm. So, Tommy, I think the dog is dead. Now, I've told this story a lot. I mean, I've told this story a lot. We're going to be talking about it in my book. I'm wiped out of tears, man, on this. But the dog, it's a, it's a happy story because the dog is going to get his day in the sun. He is going to have my mother come in as an advocate for him and tell my father, we're going to adopt this dog from this son of a bitch. And my father and me, two guys that could never get along, we look at each other, and he gets his Cadillac and puts it right in the middle of the road, and we scoop up the dog and put it in the back seat, goes to the emergency room, and the dog survives. It survived getting hit twice? It survives getting hit wow. by twice. And the dog go on to live a long life. Unbelievable. So the dog survives. <clears throat> so my mother had me over Amazing. a barrel. She said, look, you... You're done. You can kill yourself. Not the dog. Not the dog. And, <laughs> and I felt sad. I lost the dog. But you know what? At the end of the day, I was free to go kill myself now with spiraling down. But Tommy, as, as luck would have it, you know, I would never, never go on drugs again. I, with the clean spell that I had with the hit and bottom, the salad dressing, time was going on. And... The obsession for the dr the physical part had kind of got away. I was still achy because that methadone takes a month, two months, three months. But I, the mental obsession was kind of in, kind of out. But the last thing that was going to happen, I got the dog taken. And um, I was going to go look for drugs one more time, as we talked about in your last episode. And I would, um, when my father and mother took the dog, I would go ride the trains at night and wind up going into East New York. And uh, to give the listeners an idea of how the drugs had affected me, I mean, I had on flip-flops that you get in a pedicure, or maybe at a dollar store. I mean, these are weak flip-flops. These things are not inner city. Long, walking around. You're yeah. not walking 5,000, 10,000, <laughs> 20,000 steps on them. So the thing is this, 
I wind up on a pursuit for drugs now. Now, this is this is mental. And in your mind, this is it. This is the last time. Yeah. One more bang. Yeah, right? one more bang. I'm going back and forth. So, and it, you know, Tommy, I've been off the drugs for a while. So it's a game back and forth. You know, once you have a little bit of clean time, and these are for people that have never had a drug, some rationale comes back and you say, man, do I want to open this door up again? I mean, it's like, you know, you're safe on land. Do you want to go back out in a dinghy and see if Jaws is out there? <laughs> but as addicts, we are crazy people. I mean, I'm addicted to chaos. I'm addicted to anything feels good or smells good. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to try one more time. But I'm going to play this game back. Yeah, now. But I get on the plane. I get on the train. I go into the Jamaica train station. I get on the J train, which goes in some of the worst neighborhoods at nighttime. You know, goes starts in East New York, Brownsville, Bed-Stuy. And during this time, it's not a user-friendly neighborhood. I mean, anybody is is subject to being shot it's like north philly today and here is you know i might be italian but you know up close maybe somebody just think i'm a white guy that just you know i mean sometimes i used to get a pass hey man you're allowed a neighbor you're italian okay thank you but i decide i'm gonna get off the train and um i get off the train and uh i wind up uh walking and walking and walking until i find the burnt out building and it's almost like i was directed to this building I had a 50-gallon drum, and the guys were using the drum as, as, as burning wood for light, some heat at this time, and I see they're shooting up drugs. And this voice starts telling me, go ask if you can share that. Go ask if you could have some. And look, I don't believe in a lot of out-of-body stuff. I'm a street guy. I believe what I can see at this point. And, you know, Tommy, I'm not a trusting guy, you know? I mean... You know, and they're not trusting either. You, when you go to Starbucks, they will not put that drink in your hand until you give them the money. They think right. you're going to take off with a $3 drink. So think about this for people who say, well, wait a minute. I mean, try to go to any fast food and get fast food. They want that money. So I'm the same way. So, um, I get, so you get there, you get off the train, yeah. you're debating back and forth, are you going to get the drugs, you're in a yeah. bad neighborhood, this isn't really the place you want to go to, no. do you end up getting them or not? So I get to the guys, close to the guys, and the pushing's going on, I go, I can't do this, I can't do this. Prior to this, Tommy, which I left off, on the train station, I see two guys, two guys. One is a sergeant with the NYPD, who sees me, he knows me, I grew up with him, he's looking at me, cross-eyed. I'm like, oh boy, let me get away from him. And then I see a guy that I'll learn his name is Michael. A peaceful looking guy. He looks at me and he walks over to me. And he starts telling me about his story. And I asked him, you tell strangers this? He told me that he had been in the Bronx living in a cardboard bo refrigerator box. And we have this talk. But it's not enough to stop me from using drugs. He tells me about this monastery, Graymore, that saved his life. He told me you can stop anytime you want. You can go to Graymore. I said, take, take guys like me. He says they take you, anything in between you, people running from the law, you name it. I said, why are you telling this to me? He says, you know, you don't look too well. And when I got close to you, you look like you got tombstones in your eyes. So this was going to be a changing point in my life. He goes, well, you remember it? I said, yeah, Graymore, Graymore, monastery. I said, I got a memory like an elephant. So I get this deal, and here's what I notice. You ever notice life has a way? I still don't know if you got the drugs or not. Did he get the fucking no. drugs when he went there? No. no. Okay, then no, do, I, you go to Gray, do you go to this place or no? I don't. I go to. I go to Graymore. You do I, go to Graymore. You do go to Graymore, and I wind up getting detoxed um, mentally. I was already a long time off the physical drugs. I get off the drugs, 
and I do the I do the, the program there for months, and then I go to rehab. I'm so whacked out they sent me to rehab. Still, congratulations for yeah. sticking through it. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> and and I never touch another drug from the early '90s. But back then, I didn't even count it as clean time. I didn't know what it was. I just didn't do drugs anymore from the early '90s. And we move through all this, and I get clean and this and that. And Tommy, I wind up, you know, doing what I need to do, and I wind up good. Well, how'd you, how'd you end up, you get through the drugs, you're done with the drugs. Then how do you end up somehow becoming, and we touched on it on the last episode, but we'll get into it more, a fucking CO. <laughs> I started as a CO. Yeah, how do you do that? You know how I do that is I met a girl. And she had a family that was in the Midwest. And um, she liked me. And listen. And what, she was working there? She was, no, she was, wor- she was a school teacher. So how'd she get you into the correction officer position? Well, she had a family in Nebraska. And what happened was, Tommy, um, we wound up getting married. Okay, we wound, up, we wound up getting married. Yeah. And once Did that turned out good, or well, not so good. Once we got married, you know, all she, hell broke loose. She saw that I was a, a little bit of a maniac. You know, um, an ex-boyfriend sent the roses on my watch, or something happened. I jump out of a car at thirty-five. She got one shot at the brake. And um, she started to see. She says, look, man, uh, I got to go. I got to go, I, I get out of here. She goes, I, I suggest you come with me. She goes, if you want to. So I wound up moving out to Nebraska with her. And, um, I can't picture you in Nebraska. I, I can't either. But Nebraska's not like people would think it is. It's not Alabama. It not, not I'm putting anything about with Alabama, but it's slow in Alabama. Slower than the than East Coast. Nebraska is, is it moves. It's quick. It's got... You know, the Oracle of Omaha, you got, you know, the insurance companies there. It's built modern. And people are clear there. I mean, they're not California. They're not New York. They're right in the middle. They're not the South. They're not the North. And they're quick-witted, like Johnny Carson was. I'm dating myself here. And I wind up going to work. But they're kind of by the book, you know. So I applied for the job. And my past, you know, not, nothing I did was significant that gave me this record. You know, I had some police interaction, and I just flipped the script, which wasn't nice of me. But I said, look, guys, have you ever been in New York, the hiring committee? No, we haven't. I said, they got a policy out there. They stop you for everything. They said, well, we wouldn't think that. I said, you ever hear of the broken windows? They like to cut crime off when it's little. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it worked, but I got the job. But they watched me. Tommy, they watched me. Believe me, they watched me for a long time. So I got on the job. I got on the corrections emergency response team, and it was the greatest thing for me. I needed prison. I don't think I'd be here if I didn't have that. I needed the structure. I needed to be someplace that if I was one minute late, I'd get written up. I needed routine. I needed a duty. And I needed to be around other human beings that would understand me. Now, the closest thing I think is that correctional officers are the unsung heroes of law enforcement. They are doing a job nobody wants to do. And... You're being around the inmates all the time that don't have a great attitude. It's a hate factory. They don't want to be there. The CEOs don't want to be there. And, I, and, and I'm kind of seeing everything. But there's one thing I am. I'm a street guy. So the inmate's not going to be able to say to me, hey, I need a cigarette today. Next week he's got me for a pack. That ain't going to work with a guy like me. I was by the book, but I also was by the book that the mission statement told me I couldn't be capricious, retaliatory to these guys. And I must always remember that they're human beings. They're just, and this is what a lot of people that don't know about prison. Their punishment is they've been taken away from the community. It's not for me with a bad attitude to make their life worse. They've been taken away from their family. 
You should go doing. You should go out and do speeches to our CEOs. You should. I, 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 really, that's. The, I mean, I mean, look, man, they, they, they've been sentenced to time away from their family. Nowhere in the mission statement does it say the CEO should come in and gripe and make their life miserable or be nitpicky, and no different. And what year is this when you become a CEO? Uh, early nineties. Early nineties. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. yeah, and you know these guys. If you give them a ticket, remember the CEOs are cops inside the institution. And there's power in writing them a ticket. That can change their parole plans. So I was able to see what I needed to see. And an officer really has the greatest tools is officer present and communication skills. And I found that if you treat an inmate, I don't even care if it's a death row inmate or an inmate that is in a solitary confinement, they've had a lot of bad days in their life. They'll jump right at the opportunity to have another bad day with you. But I, I, that was not my deal. Now, when you were in there at that time, did, did you see any sexual activity or any of that stuff? I always hear about that. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, I didn't see it. It, it, I didn't it, see it. it. It goes on. It goes on. You saw it? it yeah, you, you wind up catching the tail end of it. But not, not like they act like it, right? Well, but you also do a lot of strip searches and look up the cavity and you see some things that you don't usually see. Well, that's I'm talking I mean, you, about well, shit you know, that's going on. You know there, stuff's yeah. happening there. Yeah. You know, and you know that there are couples going on. Yeah. But again, 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 that was not what I was put on this planet to give an inmate a hard time with that. My job was to make sure he didn't leave the place. My job was, if he was in a bad space, you know, you got to be real careful because if you're too friendly, like some staff members are, they cross a line and they don't know where that line is. And then you could put an inmate in jeopardy because the other inmates could say, wait a minute, you got you got a little bit of communication going on here, you know. Are you, are you, is something going on here? So, I think a lot of stuff can be going on with your demeanor, and the way you speak to people. And then what happened with uh, Casey White and was well, it Crystal White? What happened? With Casey those two? White who, and Vicky. First of all, who Vicky, are those two? Uh, and what happened with? Wait, them? wait, wait. You got Casey White. That's a six foot nine six inmate nine. that just walked out of out of, out of jail, not prison. <laughs> and Vicky White, an eighteen year. Um, <clears throat> correctional supervisor. So let's think about this. I've seen stuff like this happen where staff gets bamboozled by an inmate and they're either having relations or they're bringing stuff in. I At the penitentiary, we run a lot tighter ship than a, than, than a jail. You're just not walking out the door like that at the penitentiary. You got a lot of stuff going on. But to my credit, when I looked at the video of the inmate walking behind her she was giving every SOS, hey, look what I'm doing. That was her subconscious go, I'm doing something that's not right. Why does an inmate need to be escorted with an officer right next? They got leg restraints on and handcuffs. If the inmate would fall, he'd crack his head open. So that was wrong. Then it was wrong that even though she was a supervisor, the central control or master control that watches the Sallyport area should have said something ain't right here. So he wound up getting in her head some way. And remember, inmates have something on their ta- on their credit called time. And what's the Sally Port area? The Sally Port area is an area where there's two doors to freedom. Like I have two doors to freedom at my at my yard. <laughs> because a lot of people always say, yeah, I lost my door, get out the gate. Not at my house. The door would have to get through one gate, then go through another gate. You know, there's not one gate to freedom. I mean, gotcha. j- prison did teach me one thing. <laughs> so that is, that's it. I mean, I could see that happening. Uh, she threw her life away. She paid the ultimate price for her lust for this guy. What'd she do? What'd she actually do? Uh, well, she, she got him out and she got 
guns. She, she like got, escaped with them and fucking she, guns. The she whole went, she she made up a lie and said she was taking him to court and never took him to court, but took Jeez. him to a hotel. He must have really gave it to her. You know, Tommy, I think we win people over psychologically long before we do physically. And in her case, we, I don't know what her background is. You know, this is some damaging stuff. You know, inmates have some PTS from doing time in one way or the other, and I don't want to hear people. Well, they can, on the comments section, get mad at me. But, you know, again, not everybody's Charlie Manson in there. Now, when did um, the other book come, come about? Which uh, one? 40, what is it, 42nd and... No, 14th, 14th and 2nd. So now this book here, right here, you can get on Amazon, 14th and 2nd paperback. Yep. Yep, Amazon.com, 14th and 2nd. Yep, it's finally, it's fine. Today it was released. And uh, here's what I would say. It's a roadmap out of addiction. And I don't care if you don't have a, uh, a drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction. Um, this was my way of getting out of this. And my time that I've been off of drugs and alcohol is 12-step, spiritual, and a lot of mindset. So that's what it takes. Uh, I'm 24 years. I actually celebrated 24 years on April 6th of 1998 is when I got sober. That was my last drink working for the Department of Corrections. Congratulations. Man. I celebrated that. Time, I celebrated that last month. But the reason was, you know, I've been off the drugs, you know, for a number of years. But I was working for corrections and I decided that, you know, a little alcohol won't hurt. And what I found quickly was the brain, this thing. It doesn't know what it's being anesthetized by. It knows something has changed and weirdness comes back where more is the motto. So for those, and I don't tell anybody what to do, but those that love marijuana and all that, I would say, you know what? If I loved it, I would treat what's ailing me because I don't even want to take a better drill anymore. I'm 57 and a half years old, man. I want to feel life 100 proof. I want to feel it 100 proof, man. We'll get into this, Tommy. I only eat once a day. I don't want nothing bringing me down. And anything. I mean, I, I eat too much too much of a, of, a, of a yam or a baked potato and I'm punch drunk. I mean, the last <laughs> thing you're giving me is any of these gummies or whatever the hell. I'm not, that's not for me. But that's not me to say for anybody else. Um, and I'm not battling the level of pain that people use that for, although I am battling a bunch of pain. I got hips, I got shoulders. I mean, I've been through a lot. Right. So, uh, 98, I get sober. I just celebrate 24 years. It's a big deal to me. So, I write this book, 102,000 words, and I believe that the people that read this will not be bored. And what's nice is, if it's parts of the book, you go, this is not believable. Just go to newspapers.com, just put in whatever you see, go to Wikipedia, I don't care what you do, you got articles, you got everything. I mean, this is a story that sometimes I go, how did I get through this? How did a guy get through this? Look, there's a lot of people that have done a lot of things in this life, but they didn't go back for more, okay? They, 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 they serve, they do time, they go to Rikers, they get out, and it's like, okay, man, I did it two or three times. I, I, this is the last time doing it. I mean, there's a reason why you go to battle a tour or two. I mean, I went through a lot of tours of chaos. So, so that is like the beginning and the end of your addiction. How you got through it, everything that it, happened in between. It brings, it brings you right up to the last thing that I finally have to do is I finally, in 2019, I addressed the, the food monster at 240. Now, two, now, when I was a young guy 
and working for the Department of Corrections, I carried 235 like a champ. I mean, I was just a thick-looking, clucko-looking guy, Tyson-looking guy, big neck, big arms, thick thighs. But that's not the case when you're not working out yeah. anymore. Go I was to, sloppy. Uh, slide two. Let's take a look here because we have you were all jacked up in one. All right, here, Charlie, you're in. What is this here, Charlie? This is actually the control unit. This is a a, a jail within a jail in the penitentiary. And I'm holding a bunch of leg restraints and uh, shackles. Uh, leg restraints, no, not not shackles. Leg restraints and handcuffs and going to get uh, a segregation inmate out for a visit. And there yeah. you are. Jack. Now, how heavy are you there? Uh, about 235. And, you know, that's before the days of nutrition. And, I mean, uh, Arnold was my, my buddy back then. So, you know, I looked up to him and I, I believe, you know, a lot of guys get big, but they get a big waist. I had a, a narrow waist. All right, Charlie. So here you are. Now, this is, you've lost a little bit. Are you doing 24 and 1 right now? No, here's what this is, Tommy. This is 2019. I'm 55 years old. And I actually looked worse than this. This is me starting to shed this weight, okay? And when I shed it, I'm injured. I got two injured shoulders. And this is a 55 year old Fred Flintstone. What are you eating right now? I'm okay, eating not, from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. Just anything you want. Anything I want, and I'm and I'm drinking chocolate milk as if it's water. So I'm just a mess. Now, when was it when you look in that mirror and you're like, "Fuck, I got to do something." You know, you my, know when that hits you. My you mother, know? my mother didn't recognize me. I saw her in 2019. She didn't recognize me, and um, I just got to a point in my life, you know, that I just um, I was eating myself to death, and people don't realize it. Here's something that's really important. You know, I used to get mad when I was a weightlifter. These BMI numbers are not the right numbers. Now, they're the right numbers, okay? Here's something that's important. Disagree with that, but okay. Um, agree disagree. to, di agree uh, to uh, disagree. I, I think that we, uh, we, we get, we're too heavy. I think the BMI numbers have us closer to the weight we should be than we think we are. But what's the BMI number? Uh, the basic uh, um, BMI is basic metabolic index, I think it is. Okay, but how can you go by that, that number, right? Because... If my body, my what's your body? Your body, they say ninety-eight point nine is is uh, temperature, right? So if you're ninety-nine degrees, you're, you have a temperature. Right. You're ninety-nine point six. Well, it gives you a range. It get, the BMI gives you a range of what you should be at your height yeah. and weight. Okay, so but that's based on the military from the fifties, and yeah, it was about five thousand people. But, but okay, but let me say something to you. I'm going to find out when I get down to where the doctor says I should be. I'm well, a doctor. Pretty, don't, uh, even, don't even uh, bring, okay. don't even come to me well, with the PCP I, shit. Come I, to me with okay. with a with a doctor, doctor. Okay. Uh, well, I got a DO. I think a DO is a pretty good doctor. I want to hear. I want to hear medical journal. Shit. Okay. So here we go. I'm just breaking your balls. So here we go. Okay. So, I um, here's what I did do, which was smart of me. A lot of times, you are fat, me, and I go to the gym and lift weights and swell my chest and arms. I still fat. But your mind doesn't look in the mirror and see that you're still a fat guy. It tells you you look good. It tells you, man, I feel good. That's the guy that I became with that nice waist like I had when I was young. Pull okay. up that second picture. Yeah. When, he, when uh, Troy lost the weight. All right, here we go. Pull that up. There he is. Look at this guy. Yes. Look at this guy. Now, now, from the last picture to this, how long was it? Uh, that took me uh, about a little bit over a year, and I went from um, I went from two forty six, and I'm about there. I'm real light, but if I needed to do it, I need to burn all the fat off. I'm like one seventy there. That is, that's in one year. You cut yeah. down that much yeah. from that other picture. I ate once a day, and I and I and I ate once a day. So now, how does that work? You go like you do. You have a, a specific time every day that yeah, you eat? every day I like to eat at five o'clock. At five o'clock, and what I do is 
my metabolism is not smarter than me. I, I say to myself, if you starve yourself, your metabolism say to hell with it. And if you starve yourself, you'll get skinny fat, you'll burn all your muscle tissue, and then you'll have nothing. And your metabolism will slow down, and then once you do eat again, you're uh, yeah. So I, I basically would eat a Thanksgiving meal every day, a Thanksgiving-sized meal, in one hour, approximately. And it would be anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000 calories. Now, people say you have to have a calorie deficit. I disagree with them. Because if I'm not spiking my insulin all day long, something changes. And I wasn't spiking my insulin. I'd eat my one big meal, and I knew how to strategically do this. I knew when I break my fast, I certainly don't put sugar in my diet. Yeah. I put a protein. I put good fats, avocados. So I did this, okay? So I get this weight off of me, and I start living in a fasted state. So now I got people that approach me and say, well, I eat six times a day small meals. I said, tell you what, I believe what you're telling me. They say breakfast is the most important meal. I believe what you're telling me. I do all your six meals at one time, <laughs> and when I break fast, that's my breakfast. Yeah. So don't call it dinner, call it breakfast. So I break fast, which is breakfast for me, and I eat the person that does six small meals a day, I eat them all at one time, and then I go do blood work. So I got great HDLs that are up, LDLs that are down, triglycerides that are low, PSA, which is the prostate, is non-existent. I mean, no inflammation there. Uh, and my C-reactive protein, which is a big one, is, is it, the ratio's low. Now, when you would eat that one meal, well, was it always the same or different? or di Like, would you eat pizza on these days? Yeah, you know what I found, Tommy? Early on, you want to stuff yourself with all the things you think you want, pizza. But what happens is, when you fast for 23 hours a day, your body takes over. And it starts to crave things that you can't believe. You're craving cucumbers. You're craving peppers. You're craving... Um, Brussels sprouts. Your body will dictate what you want. It's telling you what it needs. It's right? telling you what you need. So early on, maybe I'd break the fast. Go, you know, I eat the good stuff, and then maybe have some room for ice cream. But sooner or later, I got to the point where I said, "This is no good. That's no good." I mean, here's the thing. I was in California recently, uh, and a guy took me to uh, In-N-Out Burger. I've never been to a place like that, right? I didn't mean to do this. I got so deadly sick from the diet I have. Eating that, I didn't eat for 84 hours after that. I always <laughs> clocked my... 23 hours came, I still was nauseous. Yeah. 48 came, no good. 72 came, and I was just starting to get hungry. I said, let me go a little further to make sure I'm not nauseous. I went to 84 hours. I felt great. I felt energy. You know, a lot of people say to me, you need all this protein. Well, there's a lot of guys that are in the prison that ain't getting much protein. And, and they're fucking something. jacked. And they're jacked, okay? Jack, jacked. They're jacked, jacked. And what are they getting in prison? Carbohydrates and the lifting heavy weights. And more processed food than and they more, can ever imagine. Yeah, so and they're I, jacked. I don't, I mean, these people. Don't give me that protein. I mean, these stick men that tell me they need protein. I mean, I mean, come on. Come on. Bullshit. Bullshit. So, just, just like uh, milk does the body good. Yeah, what, what the it, fuck it is leeches, good at milk? It leaches, yeah. So we know that. So, Tommy, I, um, I ate once a day. I have a nice body now. Um. But I'm not obsessed with this. How long was it until uh, you got to that point when you were doing the 23 and 1? Yeah. When you didn't even want pizza, you didn't want the ice cream. How long for uh, that? I would that say, I would say, I got to be honest, I didn't get here overnight. It took me about two years. And eventually, you get to the point that you conquer this food monster. You know, I got to the point where through the pandemic, we got a commercial grade oven. I was making real pizza. And then eventually, I don't like the way I feel on that. 
Just the way we talked earlier about marijuana, I don't want to take in a bunch of useless carbohydrates and feel punch drunk when I get up. You know, I got energy like there's no tomorrow right now. And I got fight to me. And I didn't have fight when I was eating like a slob. I just didn't have it. But I'm back to being myself. Well, it slows you down. Oh, it does. It does. So um, I found a happy weight. At 170, I was too thin. Um, at one, 190, no, I didn't even get up to that, like 188. I'm good in the low 180s, man. That's where I need to be, and that's where I need to hang out. I'm strong there, and I can move, and I'm good to go. And I will say this to people that do suffer. I feel as though food addiction is far worse than any drug addiction. Really? Because you got you got to, at least with a drug, and there's nobody can say to me with a clear head, hey, Charlie, you know, I got to use meth every day. Come on, come on. Yeah, you know, your care level, that, that your higher power, God made you, you don't put meth in you. But food, they're going to argue with me, Charlie, I got to eat. You got to revisit this monster every day. So listen, you know, early on I had to have some uh, some boundaries, but now 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 I got it. Now it's part of your life. Now it's yeah. part of my life, and um, by being in a fasted state at least over twenty hours a day, I get a lot done. And now I have a life. Now, when does it go south at the uh, correction officer? When, when does that go south where uh, you're done with that and then you go into the big time stuff? You know, I worked a couple institutions. You know, they put me in the kid, uh, and when that kid stuff is maximum security, kids that kill people. Then they put me in another. What's it like working like that? What, what were you, you were a CO yeah, in a juvenile? Yeah, where, it's a real where, juvenile. Where it was kids that had killed other people? Yeah, it was wow. kids. That's so, got to be a, kind of a mind fuck, right? You know, it wasn't. Listen. It wasn't good. And I was okay with the kids. I got a lot of really good letters, accommodations, a lot of good things. I was like a, I was like a counselor. I actually became a counselor for a little while. And then they said, you know what, this guy, you know, he's not a counselor. He, you know, this guy, you know, we, <laughs> we, we, I mean, listen, the guy's on CERT, Corrections Emergency Response <laughs> Team. He's, he, he's, he's hurt a few officers with the rib spreader. This guy is a different guy. So what happens, Tommy, they wind up sending me to another correctional institution in Nebraska, which is L- LCC. This place, man, is miserable to do time in. It's miserable to work in. It's locked down. I mean, the penitentiary, they got a west track. They got the sun that comes down. It's a beautiful day. You walk around. You, you kind of think you're free when you're, you're in there. When the guys get out of the hole, they're skipping. Not this LCC. So I do some time there, and somehow I get out of there. I became their safety director at the penitentiary. I got the keys to the whole place. But doing that job, at some point, I said to myself, I don't want to do my life here in prison because I was getting institutionalized. And to do time, here's something else. To do time working corrections or to do time as an inmate, you got to forget about the outside. you got to think that the outside doesn't exist. Your only world is here. And I would look at correction officers come in, and they would be guys that were in the military that want to do corrections for a while before they go to the state police. And after a year, they'd look rogue. I mean, they get a crazy look, and i say, man. This guy was a young guy last year. He's getting a different look. And you can't do the time with your head in the streets. And my head was in the streets at some point because I started the trash business. And I and I think for anybody being a CO, you become institutionalized. You're just getting paid to be there. You're getting paid. You're getting paid and you're eating 
you know, three better meals a day, but you're, you're getting institutionalized. You're hearing the, the, the jams and, and the screaming and the yelling and the whole night. And then you don't act right around uh, knives when you're home. Wow. You're not comfortable with the knife being out. You know, you're weird with that. You know, you're more proficient with a spoon than you are with a fork. I mean, you, you, a lot of things start to change with you. You got eyes in the back of your head. You know, you know, the inmates are given so much time. You work at seg unit for so long and they get X amount of minutes for a shower. You feel guilty. You're taking too long of a shower. This is me. I don't know about anybody else. And a lot I, of times I, I had noticed, you know, meeting a lot is that they're cool at first and then one asshole messes it up, does something just so stupid. And then that, that sets the standard for that correctional officer for the rest of his career. It does. And I, I think that goes with police too. And you know, with corrections, you know, I had a lot of fellow correctional officers that wind up killing themselves. I mean, I was in the trash business and working corrections. One corporal, he went home, shot himself on the couch, and then I had to go pick up the couch. I mean, I mean, you, you just got to think, Charlie. They're living in prison. They're living in prison for life. And and for me, for a while, I felt safe there. Well, you have a whole different. I have a whole. Yeah, so for a little, little while, for, for you, little, it was the best. It was I, a good I, thing. Listen, it gave you like security. Yeah, it, always, it gave you structure. For you, it, it was structure that then led to, in my yeah. opinion, to uh, an extremely successful waste management company. It was Tommy, but I had one. You know, you asked me if there's any. I had one situation where I started drinking again in '98. <clears throat> before I surrendered on April 5th, which April 6th started a new day of complete sobriety, I had been drinking. And um, I was okay when I was drinking, but when I had no drinks, because I couldn't drink at work, I had some paranoia, and I look around the place, and the place is full of cops. <laughs> and I'm shaking, man. I'm working death row visits. Not, not a place and, to have paranoia. And, and, I, and I got paranoia. I'm looking, <laughs> I said, man, this place is full of cops, man. And I got a badge, and I'm, I'm like, no, I can't do this no more. I can't do this. So I got sober. And, um, you know, I, I got involved. I mean, you know... I, whether it be death row inmates with no time left, the book goes into all that. I took a cup of coffee at a guy's hand. I'm telling him what they should, th you know, they're asking me for some type of support. You know, I told a guy it was nice knowing, you know, well, it's not nice knowing you. That's not going to help you. Here's what can help you. Here's what I would do if I was in your shoes. And to make peace with your situation, you can't get out of this. And, you know, the public loves to weigh in on, on all these different topics. Number one, Imagine a job where you're paid to kill somebody strategically. Now, listen, in the military, you're going after an enemy, and they're shooting at you, and it's a time of incident. A scheduled death that's happening at a certain time. That's right, because you're in the penitentiary. You're in pen I mean, your world is this death. Shaving the leg, shaving the head, making sure the sponge is wet, getting you locked into the chair. I mean, this thing is happening so diabolical. I'm doing the visit, the family's coming, they're crying, the visitors um, are leaving, the victim's family thinks they're going to feel better, they don't after the inmate's Shit. dead. You know what, Charlie, I forgot that that wasn't very unnormal back then, because now it's it's not, it's very rare, but 90s, it wasn't, it was pretty, not common, but it happened. It was, how many, how many of those did you witness, or not witness, but I were did, there? I did three, three, listen, three of them was enough, man. Three. Like, you did them? Well, you, you're, I'm part, listen, here's what they do. Are you, like, me. standing around Tommy, the fucking thing? Here's what they do. Just like when they shoot you, yeah. there's one guy that has no bullet. You each get a piece of this. You got blood on your hands. You're part of the visits. If you weren't with this, you wouldn't do it. You're, you're getting to know the guy as a human being. One guy wanted to know all the details. He wanted to know what was going to happen. He's going to get 
electrocuted this many volts. He's gonna go to the mor- He's gonna go to the- get an autopsy, be at the mortuary, and be buried that weekend. I mean, look, man. There's all parts of this. And I mean, you had to do three of them? Three of them. Three, three of them. Three so abused like hell as a kid. Yes. <laughs> left out at, at 8, oh. 12, 13, 16, yeah. 18. Then you find yourself in a correction you No, know, before East New York. And then I'm in yeah, East, New York, East with, New York with these maniacs. That, all those maniacs. Now you're a fucking CEO in a penitentiary where you're taking people's lives. I mean, you're not taking people's lives, but you're, you're part, of, part it. of the you're situation. You're part of it. Fuck, you couldn't have more... I mean, you're just where we're at right now. You, you would be a walking anxiety box for the rest of your life. You would be, and you, you know, the thing is this: how you stayed off the the booze and everything. I, I don't know. How, I don't that's know. why. That's why I had the the short relapse because uh, I, at one fuck. point, at one point, I was like, you know, because the, the family. <laughs> listen to me. I don't care what you do in this world. Yeah. You got a family, and your family's sad, and you're there. And Nebraska has death row inmates with no glass. You're visiting face to face. You, you, you get one benefit where there's no glass. But the downside is staff is right there. So I'm right there, man. I'm right there. And then I'm getting letters from the attorneys that the, that the executed inmate wanted me to know that I treated him like a human being in his last moments. <laughs> I mean, listen. Time listen, to go. Listen, Time it's, to go. It's, listen <laughs> I, let me tell you something. They could, take their, they could take their benefits, their 401K, everything they have to offer. When I got out of prison from working there, I was institutionalized. I was wanting to be told what to do next. And I was telling people what to do. I just was used to that routine. Unsung hero and the correctional officers that are listening to this, there's a lot to listen to your show. You guys are my heroes, man. You guys are my heroes that you could do that every day. I can't. I, 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 by the 10 year mark, I was done, man. I, I couldn't, 20 years of that, I would have been in a, in a friggin'. It's a tough job because you don't know who's who, and, and you, you don't, don't know, know when something's going to pop off, and, and you want to have feelings, but eventually, I would assume, given that job long enough, you become numb. You, you, become, would, you have to become numb to you, do that for 20 years. And listen to me, and you're around all these killers, so you start to minimize how dangerous people are. All right, this guy just killed one person. He's not that dangerous. This guy killed three. I mean, you, you start to wonder who you're around, what you're around. I mean, there's an inmate named Dunster that uh, people could look up. I mean, this guy killed... Outside of prison, he killed inside of prison. I mean, he killed, he killed, he made a mess in his cell with a guy. And, and, and especially and, in an environment that you're in, what, what's one more? They're already done. Yeah. If they're not gonna, if they're not gonna kill him in the prison, they're gonna be in there for the rest of their life, or they got some type of sentence that basically by the time they get out, you know, they're they're, they're ready for a uh, hospice to come, right? You know, it's it's. So a, what do they care if you piss them off one day? Here's the big problem here, and I, I'm pretty much done talking about prison. Yeah. Here's the problem. You're all in the same prison, okay? So a guy that does some credit card fraud in his local state or has an insurance fraud that's big enough case, he's doing state time. He's with these guys that were, I mean, there's a guy named Ryan. He skinned people alive. I mean, this guy was a, a killer, man. I mean, they were all different types of killers. Why in the hell would you put a uh, guy who did credit cards yeah, in with you, a, you That's know, the problem You know prison. what it does? And you know it. You know it better yeah. than anybody. It just makes that credit card, credit card fraud guy. Yeah. Now he thinks of 30 other ways to do 30 other things when he does get out. I think we need criminal justice reform. And I think that there needs to be, time needs to be handed out properly. I mean, the sentences are just sometimes so long, they're meaningless. Once you wipe a guy out, and you institutionalize him. Whether you sentence him to 15, 30, 40, you wipe him out. He's done. Um, he's going to be worthless when he gets out, and he's going to be back in the system. Matter of fact, when I got out, I kind of felt strange. I was like, 
man, where's the routine? Plus, you know, everybody in prison is who you know. Because to work in there, you know the inmates. And they all know you. It's your life, and you got the shittiest hours ever. Now, how does that, how, what blows my mind is you go from that to the waste management. Yeah, I do. Now, how does We're that waste ma- Well, what happens is I, along the way, I buy a house, and it needs to be remodeled. I bought my first house. And this is what recovery does. Now I'm not living in a furnished room that's so small that if I want to turn around, I go, I got to go out in a hallway. <laughs> or putting a key in the door and blowing a window out. I got a real, I mean, I What do you mean putting a key in the door and blowing a window out? I mean, there's no room. I mean, I'm living in these rooms. That <laughs> I like the key would go through. Yeah, window. I mean, listen. I mean, look, man, I had to have a sense of humor through this. I mean, if I wanted to, between some of these furnished rooms, you'd have a bed in there, okay? You'd have your little refrigerator. I mean, really, if you wanted to go do a, you had to go out in the hallway to turn around. I mean, you just had no room. So now I got a house. And I don't buy a very good house. It needs to be gutted. I start taking stuff to the landfill with a pickup truck. And I'm a hardworking guy. And I build, and I get a dump truck. And then I get correctional staff to help me off-duty. Then inmates get paroled, and or most, I, you know what? I like the guys that didn't get paroled, that jammed out with their number. They didn't get maxed their, out. They maxed out, and they they were free, and they show up <laughs> in my office, man. I mean, <laughs> these, these guys were, were 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 locked up, really locked up. A lot of them had done time in the in the hole, and now they're free. And they said, "Sif, we know you're out. We know you're out with the trash, and you know." And uh, I always had a place in my heart for them because I said to myself, "If I don't give these guys a chance, who will?" Nobody. No one. And what That's I found, the fucking answer. Nobody. Nobody. And what I found, these guys, if you gave them some responsibility, they'd police themselves better than you. Would tell them. And you would say to them, look, here's the real deal. I'm not really your boss. The customer pays me so I could pay you. You're your own supervisor. If we don't get to do more work, I can't keep you going. I bet they love me. They, you said you're your own supervisor. I, I, that was the was, nail in the coffin. That, that was the nail, but here's the, better than the coffin. So the thing was, they policed each other. So, I mean, at one point, Tommy. And that's for, I really respect you for that, for hiring those guys, too. Tommy, at one point, we have a you current. a lot of people from bad shit. We have a current warden. Who knows? He knows. He was working <laughs> with the inmates. <laughs> because, you know what? The inmates would get out. The staff would get out. And everybody moves up in corrections unless you're, you know, just don't want to move up. And it was just the right thing. And I think that this needs to go on nationally. I think instead of being a Vicky White and helping the inmate ruin his life, be a correctional officer. When you can't do it no more, leave. But businesses should take chances with these guys. I'd like to advocate for it because they've already done wrong. And we know that about them. And here's what I'll tell you. You encourage them. And things change. Right now, there are inmates on my LinkedIn profile. And there are people that are in some high places in America that are connected as business contacts. I see that they crossed over. And that's really, really, um, that's really what I like to see. And that's how the, that's how the government should want it to be. But they, really- they don't want it to be like that, though. They, you got to remember, all these, well, you know, they're all privately owned now. That's so, very dangerous. Very that, dangerous. Very dangerous. Because when they're privately owned, oh. now, now it's a straight business. It, now, it, it's no longer right and wrong. That now, scares me. When you when you have the waste management, what was it? What was the niche? What's well, separate? Because you got massive competition. Well, the waste management, we keep on calling That's the name of just one brand. But that's what we're doing. We're, doing, we're picking up trash. You have a lot of competition. But listen, I, I'm, I'm a recovering addict. I'm a heat-seeking missile. I'm going to get this thing done. What I do is... I offer quick service. I offer 
fair pricing, and I offer willing to put a dumpster down and helping you throw some stuff in it. Not a lot of stuff at first. You know, if you got a radiator, I'm willing to help you. Contractors start to see that, and different businesses give me a chance, and things start to happen. It's very hard to go backwards in a, in, in a waste business. And from that, <clears throat> with the dumpsters, I wind up with the trash trucks, and because you got to have both, because some customers need dumpsters, roll-offs, some need trash trucks, then recycling came in. So I was busy with this, and it was what I thought I needed, Tommy. You see, Tommy, I was deprived of a childhood. And I thought money would fix me. I thought if I could buy some stuff, I thought that that's really what I needed. I needed a few cars. I needed to go watch. I needed the things that I didn't think I got a fair shot at. Because I think when I was a kid, if I would have went to college, I would have used my brain and got those things. But I had lost that opportunity. But prison gave me the discipline I needed. And sobriety gave me the magic and the spirituality to make this thing done. So... I start making some purchases, and I've had a lifetime to know how to make strategic purchases. I'm not going to just go out and buy a regular Mercedes. I'm going to buy the high-horsepower AMG. I'm going to buy the right things. And it's funny because I'd buy these cars, and I'd say, Charlie, in Nebraska, the people hit for $315 million, and they didn't know what to buy. I mean, I went right in there. About the same time back then in 06, I knew right away. 12-cylinder Mercedes, suede headliner. I knew how to... You've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this moment. I'm going to take advantage of this. And, you know, when you start rolling with cars, you find other guys that roll cars, and you find out, you know, the Bentleys are really a better car. And you wind up trying all these different vehicles. And you realize, if you're least bit sane, they're not user-friendly. At the end of the day, your pickup truck that you kind of use to go back and forth to the office makes more sense. And you start to realize that when you go to Starbucks, the parking lot bottoms out, and you hear the, and then you go too far, and, a, uh, uh, and you get the facial all messed up. When you you don't care. Don't get. I do care. Shit. I do care. Let me tell you what. I do care. And I'm still the guy that rips the paper towel in half, Tommy. You're still the guy it. with Gucci loafers on, Gucci it, pants, it doesn't Gucci matter. shirt. Doesn't matter. That's money that I know is there. But I am still, I am still concerned. I take care of this stuff, so I do all the purchases, and. Um, but how long did it take to get to the point? So when you when you get into oh, that it, industry, it probably took how me long was seven it? Years, seven, seven years. Seven years. Seven years. I'm always curious to know how long. Seven years. And you think the big thing with that was your quick delivery, professional, because there's always up. a certain niche that separates Wait a minute, I'm gonna make success you laugh. from non. I'm gonna make you laugh. So there are people in Nebraska. Nebraska is different than New York or other parts of the country. They watch people, and they take their time. They watch me in corrections until I was a legitimate guy, and. They gave me an opportunity. Um, with the trash, I had a big hospital, a big a, a big construction company that builds hospitals. They were watching me, and they gave me a big contract to haul the trash from a hospital. And then they said to me, look, you got to do demo. We're making an extension of the hospital. Can you take walls down without making much noise and no dust? Aren't you a trash company? Yeah, because now I'm willing to do anything, Tommy. You'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. I will not only bring you the dumpster, but I'll find crews of guys that will load the dumpsters now because now I'm getting more and more guys that want to work. Gotcha. I'm getting guys at corrections that are starting to say, you know what? I, I rather, even though you're paying me a little less than I'd work for time and a half or double time with corrections, I like working with the crew. So, you know, some of these numbers were pretty, pretty unbelievable. You know, I remember being able to go buy a, a new diesel pickup after working a short amount of time. 
and saying, this is, this is okay. Hard work does pay. So with that, I built the business up. And I, um, around 2007, Tommy, I get the idea that I like the business. I like the money. But what I really need is the money without the responsibility. So I sell the business. Do you keep a percentage of it? I know. I sell it all. I sell it all. I sell it all. So I sell the business because this, this is my new deal. So I sell the business. And I, and I tell Jen, I said, Jen, do me a favor. Quit your job today. Now, Jen's always been independent. I got to tell you, she has never wanted anything from me. Um, and she's very giving. She's all the good stuff, okay? Um, but she, she can get mad, okay? So, um, you know, where, where there's a long <laughs> ability to really take a lot of insanity around her, she, at some point, that, here's what I've learned. The longer the fuse, the bigger the bang. I think I like a shorter fuse. Um, so I, I ask her, I, I tell her, I said, look, I sold the trash business on a spur. I've been kind of working on this deal. And now I'd like you to quit your job. And we did some traveling. We did some things, Tommy. And after about 90 days, she says, no, 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 I, I got to get a job. This is, I got to start a business. This is not good. And I started to get goofy, Tommy. And I took, you know, what happens is this. I don't know about anybody else. But when you don't work, you don't appreciate a hot shower. You don't appreciate a meal. You don't appreciate anything because you're home doing it anytime you want to do it. So after about 90 days, if a fly got in the house, literally, and Nebraska's got some big flies, man. That fly would just set me off. I wanted things. I got to a point where, you know, the waiter would come to the table. He'd ask, is anything right? Nothing was right, okay? I got to the point where if you said hello to me, it had to be the right hello. You know, not too strong, not too light, just the right hello at Starbucks in the morning. Because I went with all this energy, and I don't have it to do anything anymore. So I took three years off. Well, you have no energy. You have tons of energy. Tons of energy. No way to burn it. Yeah, no way to burn it. And then you went from learning how to structure yourself, right? through the correction officing job and everything else. Then you had the, the trash business. So you have structure. Now yeah. now you have nothing. Yeah. All that stuff you built up from not having anything when you were a kid. Yeah. Now you stuff. have nothing again because yeah. now, now you're just full of energy, full of shit inside yeah, I, I of you. Know, I don't know what's going on. So, you know so, so here's the thing. I, I, I don't know what basically I did for three years. <laughs> but I, but I, but I, but I, but I drove Spent around. Spent a lot of money. I, I went, drove around the country. <laughs> did what I wanted to do. Tried to reinvent. I, I, I did a lot of whatever I wanted to do. Okay, I visited museums. I got really bored. I went to Dallas. I did everything that I thought I needed to do, which I got out of my system. Okay, now, um, it was a good time, but eventually I got up one day and I said, "I'm done with this," and I went out and bought some trash trucks because I had a three year no compete, and. Jen was really inspired. I had them painted. I came up with a new name. And I'm getting the trucks ready. And the company that bought me was a big company already. And they get a hold of me. And they know how to get a hold of you. They study you. Just like your line of work, they find out how much debris you're taking to the landfill. And they can know how much you're worth. Okay? So they, that's how they knew how much I was worth the first time. But they knew what I was doing the second time. And we sat at Starbucks. And... um they said, look, Charlie, you're three years older. You had a lot of luck. You're out of the business three years. The people might not let you back in. How about we make you the chief operations officer of our company? We give you five weeks a year off. We give you health insurance. We give you a percentage of this business. We give you stock. You got you become an instant 5% owner of our business. No way you talk it. 
like so like so this is a good deal i start getting a calculator i go man like, how could you lose man you, you're making money where you sleep five percent right off the top you got all this time off i'm back in the money man i'm like fred flintstone when he said bet 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 so i just i got fearful they put fear in me so i go tell jen i said hey jen i go i got a great deal i said i'm gonna sell the trash trucks back and sign another no compete to extend it she goes you're taking low-hanging fruit i said no no you don't understand I'm older now. I don't have the same drive. She goes, what's happened to you? She goes, you had all the drive in the world. She goes, you're painting, lettering, forming LLCs. What are you doing? So, Tommy, what I do is I take the low-hanging fruit in 2010. Did you? That's why I don't bet. I take, the, I take the position, and it's a position with all the authority. I am running this company, and... It's going into the neighboring state. I'm going to get it there with the recycling. We got recycling going on. We got shredding going on. We got a lot of stuff going on. And I kind of like the the owner of the company has three boys. And they're respectful boys. I get along with them. And I got like a family. All of a sudden, I got a family. And I'm. And let me give you an example of something I like about these Nebraska folks. You know, a lot of times we can't really talk on a speakerphone, uh, us on the East Coast, because we're going to say something. We don't mean to hurt somebody's feeling, but we're going to call somebody a dummy or something stronger. The Midwest people can talk on a speakerphone. They never say anything that's bad. They just they just don't say things, okay? No. So these people are talking on a on a speak. I'm learning a lot of nice things, <laughs> and I'm learning when they're mad at people. They kind of say, "Well, we don't know what that guy's going through right now. Let's give him a chance." And this and that. You're so, not used to that. I'm not used to that. So I got like 125, 130 employees that answer to me. No, I, I they don't answer to me. They answer like nine uh, managers. I got a really nice job. So now, I try to prove Jen wrong. I go out, buy some nice clothes. I buy the newest Mercedes that they got, and I'm living my life like a champ. I'm I, I'm a guy that finally now I'm a white collar guy. I'm living this life now, Tommy. I start going to work about nine o'clock in the morning, which is good for me, and I get done around three thirty-four. But in that time, I get a lot done. Okay. So on, on August 13, 2012, my life is going to change forever. I'm really going to become the person I've always wanted to be because I'm going to find what made me happy. So on that day, just like any other day, when the day's starting to wind up, I get on my computer in 2012 and I read the headlines in New York from Nebraska. And I see the Daily News has an article. Police shoot and kill Pitbull. And I'm paralyzed with this horrible feeling. I didn't know why I was paralyzed. It's because I'm remembering my own old dog that got hit by two cars. And the homeless guy that's laying on the ground, that could be me. I was a guy like that. I remember a few times being a little too wiped out on the drugs and, and, and sleeping on a park bench or falling over on the ground and people stepping sure, on me. that was you. Yeah. That was you. So that was me. So what happens is, I don't realize at this at the time. I'm so far removed, Tommy. Tommy, all I'm thinking about is cars and transa transactions and making more money. Because I'm with a company now that says to me, Charlie, if we can get these numbers up bigger and bigger and bigger, we'll sell out to waste management. And we're all, and, and I'm thinking about the 5% I'm in there, and this thing's growing. I'm saying, man, I could really have a nice payday here. Get another, another lottery situation. So what happens is I see this video, and a dog appears to be dead. But I don't believe it. So I call the vice president in the office. I call the president, 
who's a 60-some-odd-year-old guy in a Midwestern. They go, Charlie, I don't know why you're so upset. This is a horrible video. But this poor dog is dead. Let it go. Now, how, how well is the company doing at this time? Are, are Unbelievable. They, and you're killing it. We're killing it. We, 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 listen, we're, 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 re, we're recycling. We're getting all this green footprint. We're, we're shredding documents. You're on fire. I'm on, we, you're listen, on we fire. Got, we got contracts with the state. We got Every, contracts, everything. We got, we're shredding paper. We're, rela- we're doing everything, everything you, you possibly can. Then you see the dog, yeah. and you make the, the decision to go find this dog in the midst of the glory of this company. Wait a minute, Tommy. I want you to know this. I was a guy that was drinking a salad dressing. I've sometimes got to pinch myself. I'm like, how, how do I mean, we're, we're talking about some serious loot coming in every week. I mean, the kind of money that, you know, is, 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 is incredible. And I'm honest, man. That's one thing I am. I'm honest. I am honest. But I'm honest if you're paying me. I mean, I probably wouldn't be honest if you weren't paying me. I mean, if you weren't paying me and I wasn't, I mean, who knows what I would do. But I, I, listen, if you're paying me and I agree to the salary, I'm honest. Um, so the trash business is doing good. The shredding business is doing good. The recycling business is doing good. Dumpster business is doing good. And we're getting contracts all over the place. I mean, this is the growing. If the Midwest, you know, I think in New York, Philly is old. It's been around since the beginning of time, 1776. Nebraska's new. They're having their growth spurt now. The infrastructure's there. They're growing and growing and growing. Lincoln and Omaha. Half a million, 600,000 in Omaha, 300,000 in Lincoln. And they're growing. And I'm right in the middle of all this. And I am part of this thing. But for this day, I don't care about the money. I don't care about nothing but this dog's life. I have... You see, I'll tell you this. If I had a pilot's license, money might mean more. But when you can't use drugs and alcohol if you're an addict and you can't really overeat anymore and you got all the cars and you got a place, I mean, at some point, it's just like money just keeps score, you know? So I wind up putting everything I can into this dog. And I tell everybody the dog lived and I call the city of New York and I tell them I'm calling them up on a recycling uh, query. And they're only too happy. The admin of the New York City Animal Care and Control, Renee, she's only too happy to talk to me about the green. Because everybody wants to be part of the green movement. They think they're doing something by taking stuff out of the waste stream. Which they are. I mean, we don't... Who gives what, a shit about the green wait, wait, listen, <clears throat> What I want listen, to know... Uh, the paper what, bags of Trader Joe's. What Jones, I want to know is about that? the dog being in, in the witness protection program wait, and somehow you find it. Yeah, so, we went over it a little bit last Yeah, time. so the dog, the dog winds up surviving. And I wind up really hot on this. And I start, start the New York Pitbull Facebook page. Um, somebody does a CNN report on this deal, and I want to go to bat for the homeless guy. I want the homeless guy and the dog to reunite. That was the original. That was thought. the original plan, man. I got a, I got a little Jack Russell that's a biter. Oh shit! So <laughs> you, you you weren't even trying to go find the dog to adopt. No, it. you were trying to find the dog for the homeless. Yes, guy. I mean the wow. first plea. How I got into this? How I got my nose so deep into this thing was, I wrote on a CNN article online or something on Facebook, I said, you know, everybody worries about the dog, and I do worry about the dog, but I'm worried about the homeless man. You know, I'd like to give him a job and help the man. I'll give him a job and help the man and move the man to Nebraska, and I could help the man like I got helped, and I'd probably make a good friend with this guy. I got more in common with him <laughs> than, than these the guys, fucking people you're working than with. the fucking people I'm working with. I mean, these guys are boring. So I make this plea, and it goes kind of viral. They make a CNN uh, I report. And it gets shared a lot. And the homeless coalition contacts me and they ask me to put what I'm going to do for this guy in an email. And the East Village Times covers it. 
And ultimately, the man declined my offer. He thanked me through the Homeless Coalition, and he wanted to move back to Poland and go on with his life. And ultimately, the dog went into the witness protection program. It created all these problems. They renamed the dog. And from New York, they stick the dog in Philadelphia under so a new now, name. How, how does one put a dog in the witness protection program? Well, Is that a common thing? It's not. But let or me like say something this that they do? Well, in New York, everything's a secret. I mean, you never know this or that. You don't get the whole story in, in New York. If something happens in Kansas, you know, the cop, the firstborn, <laughs> you know that he's been on the force X amount of times. <laughs> yeah. You know every little detail. You, you know when he took a shit But yesterday. Yeah, but in, in Nebraska, in, in New York, they don't want to give you any info. Everything is a cloud of secrecy. So for those that want to read more, about it just read nebraska man adopts dog shot by nypd and it goes into the details of them putting this dog in a witness protection program renaming it and hiding it and i got to find this dog so what i do is i think about my training in the department of corrections so i stay persistent so i continue to stay with the authorities that take presence over this dog first it's got a legal defense fund that's protecting the dog then the mayor's alliance and I'm always oh, that's asleep. Right. It had a legal defense. Yeah, it had, it had an attorney firm. Now, do you think that's so that to protect uh, the police officers that were involved in it? I think it was to protect the dog. They didn't want the dog to get euthanized. They wanted. They didn't know what to do with this dog. Okay, the dog had this history. It was like a do. It was like if you do this, yeah, this problem. Do- if dog, you don't do this, do- this problem. The do- was, listen, the dog yeah. lawyered up. I don't know how the dog lawyered the, the up. Dog but lawyered the, up. But he, the dog had so much lawyers. <laughs> and now I'm trying to get into the dog and I can't get much information. The dog lawyered up. So then the, they, the, the dog lawyers then transfer their custody after the homeless man gave the dog up to the city of New York because we're going to get viewers that are going to say this guy should have gave the dog back to the homeless man. No, I couldn't give it back to the homeless man because he signed his rights away. And he went to fucking Poland. Poland. So the guy, and, the and plus, plus he had some issues. So he was no yeah. different than me back in the 80s. This guy this guy wasn't done yet. Okay, so <laughs> um, what happens is I wind up, the dog goes from New York City Animal Care and Control, gets lawyered up, then from lawyered up it gets transferred to the Mayor's Alliance. So now <laughs> I stay as a squeaky wheel on my Facebook page, and I said, look, man, I need proof that this dog is alive, and they're not giving me. So what do I do? I know that the people across the pond in England think we're nuts. So I play up to them. I say, can I get on a radio? Can I get on a podcast? And back then they said, yeah. And I just said, man, it's too crazy in the U.S. with these guns. Why do we have all these guns? And they put me on a podcast. And I got a nice amount of people listen to this podcast. And people started calling into the city of New York. We need pr- proof that this dog is alive. So they sent me a video on my phone back then. Back then I had a Blackberry. Like England, England, as in the country England? The country England creates emails, phone calls, and pressure. Enough traction to yeah, push it Yeah, I wind up here. somehow getting an, a video of this dog alive. Wow. And then once you gave that to me. I'm Who would have thought that you would have got that out of England? Like you would have well, done a England podcast. People, I understand. They, yeah, they're rational. They're not like us. They're rational. So they went about it in proper channels. A New York guy yells. Right. They use communication. But isn't that interesting, though? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, listen, they've been civilized maybe longer than I've been, so they, they go about things differently. So Maybe England's more civilized than the U.S. in yeah, general. In general. Yeah. So, so listen, so um, I get my first bit of traction, and I get this dog to get a video made of it. And then from there, I get involved back with the attorneys. I'm into the attorneys, and I say, look, I, I need a picture of the dog. The video is moving around. I don't know. I can't. So he sent me a picture of the dog. So now I start to build my case. So in the waste business, I decide 
that I have to look at this thing and become a detective. So I ordered the biggest whiteboard I bring in my office. It covered a full wall. And I asked any one of my staff that would help me when they're not working to help me find this dog. So this is like America's Most Wanted, but for yes, the start of the, the dog, dog. For the start of the dog. So. Now, from the time you start, when you decide, I'm going to go after this dog, yeah. it was what, three years until you, you found? No, 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 no. I, I started going after the dog shortly after she was shot. She had a surgery, removed her eye, and she was quietly renamed and sent to Philadelphia. Even the staff in Philly did not know who she was. They just thought she was a dog that was injured. So I worked from September, October, November. Three, it's three months, not three years. I don't know why I thought three And then years. how do I find a dog? <clears throat> I find a dog by looking at these photos and looking at them and looking and looking at the shrubbery. You know, shrubbery is different in different parts of the country. And I say to myself, this dog... It's got to be somewhere in the East Coast. And the parking lot had no front plates. So I happen to have a friend, that re- not a friend, a business that restores photographs. And they're able to look at photographs a lot closer than you could with the naked eye. I said, I only have one question. Are these blurred out on these front plates or there's no front plate? There's no front plate. And then there was some literature, maybe eagles. Something was that started to make me believe it's definitely Pennsylvania. And then eventually they put up another photo and there's a semi in the background and they wait out the door with the USDOT numbers present. And I run the USDOT number on Safer Systems, which for your listeners, anybody that wants to know about a, uh, a semi, they can put the USDOT number in and they know all the stats, the carrier, where the truck is parked. Public information. Public yeah. information. So I find out the truck is in Philadelphia and the next thing is we start calling every shelter, every this, every that. Do you have a one-eye pit bull? And then eventually by December, I finally find the dog. And if you want to know what happens after that, go watch the first episode between yes. you and I, because that's so, all there. Yeah. We we go deep into that. We go deep into that. Yeah. So we find a door. But let's pull up the book. Pull up uh, tab two. The first one. It was start on Akram. Now, how long, when you first did uh, Star, the book, how many pages was that? When, when you initially had it done, how many pages was it? Well, the book is 302 pages. It's 102,000 words, okay? My book. Yeah, I'm talking about I'm a star, which is uh, you can get on Amazon. Yeah, you can just I type think, in I'm think, a star book. Yeah, I think it's um, the pages are there. I think it's 30 some odd pages, 17 are illustrated. The illustrations are really good. Jen did a really wonderful, wonderful job. See, she has taken her time and saw how star handled her injury. She looked different. She's it, it, a, it's a great cover. She's really a pit is. bull, and people want to be dog discrimination. Okay, and here's the thing. There's three million or more pit bulls in America that go to bed every night that don't do anything wrong. But when they do something wrong, it makes all the news, okay? And I just don't hear Akita's biting. No, Nothing else bites in America. Yeah, right now it's just pit bulls. It's just pit bulls. Because they, they got, they, because people bred them to fight, they yes. got a name for them. They got a name for them. And unfortunately, look at Star up here. I mean, yep. she was a beautiful dog. And that these photos are taken on my lawn, and that's a real photo. And recently, Liz Berger, a friend of Stars from beginning, decided she was going to do something really special for this dog. Pull up a tap two, and she produced a song. I mean three. I'm sorry. She produced a song about this dog's life. Well, here's your Facebook first. We wanted to hit this because that that's a really cool picture. Star of the New York Pit Bull, and there's Star. Scroll down a little bit. Now that day. That that picture was taken. Keep going past that. Fuck that. That the picture that's on her Facebook page. That's a dog we, we're finding a home for right now. Good for you. Yeah, that, that beautiful dog is 
going to be euthanized or a home is going to be found for Marshall. And I think we have uh, uh, the right adopter for the dog. So he's oh, cute. Boy, he is good. cute. Yep, right there. A voice for the voiceless. That's cool. Yeah. And then go to the next tab. And now this this is what Jen did, right? This is uh, this is Liz, our friend Liz, who wrote and composed this song that is made for Star's journey. And it, the song is the words of her song. Hit our preview. She did both an instrumental, but this is the full word song. How long did it did it take for this to come about? Oh, I well, she just produced a song in uh, 2022. It had just been produced about two weeks ago. So it took quite a bit of time. She had this vision and it got done. I never knew how much work it was to um, produce a song, but she kept me part of the process of what I wanted in the song and what part of the song and what words were there. And it uh, it's pretty heavy. And I, I also enjoy the instrumental. The instrumental is very, very inspiring. And that's on what, Apple iTunes? It's on everything. Spotify, it's on Apple t- iTunes, it's on everything. It's on everything. Yeah, yeah, and then they can find it on YouTube too. There's going to be a video of the song. But the instrumental's there. And the Liz Berger, uh, she has her own uh, channel and she songs there. And what, what made you want to go further with that, with the song? Because you were on the book and then you had your own book. Well, here's the thing. You could only do so much and then other humans come to your uh, your vision and Liz really just always was there as one of Star's biggest fans and she's a beautiful person and this dog has brought people into my life that I would have never met if it wasn't for this dog so Liz is one of those people an animal lover a great human being and someone that has tremendous compassion for a one-eyed dog and you're going to make it into a cartoon Jen's working on that right now. That's her That's her deal. She's working on illustrators to make this a cartoon because Star is one of the seven dogs we had um, and the interaction we've watched with these dogs. They all have been saved from death row in America's um, euthanization from Jack Russell's to pit bull mixes. And what people need to know is that we, we kill over 10,000 dogs a day in this country. That's... 50 states, and that's probably more, California, New York, big states like that, Michigan, um, Texas, Florida, they kill a lot of dogs, and I got dogs that had no chance, and they are going to be cartoonized, they're already in the book, and the second book will be coming out soon, part two of the, of the first book. Now, do you think it'll be, uh, when you do the cartoon, you'll you'll turn it into a series? Yeah, it'll be a series. <clears throat> Just get it, get the traction off first, because then it really comes to life. A book is great, audio is great, but then when you have a cartoon, that would be something, Charlie. Uh, you, you, you'll Tommy, be fucking thrilled. You'll be <laughs> glowing from here to paradise. Tommy, here's the deal. For people that don't slow down, they think I have a small mentality. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Star connected me with the most powerful people that run this country. She's connected me with people that have mentality, doctors, prosecutors, judges. I, I met I met I met the president over the dog. Once the once the governor knew my story, I got right to the front of the line. And I didn't do nothing great in this country, but you know, like for a gold star families or whatever. But I was right at the front of the line. Um, I think the reason being is that we all need a good story, 
And there's a lot of sadness for a veteran that has lost his limbs. I think America can't handle that. I think we, we, we do really good with funerals and we get really symbolic and powerful. And we do good with Memorial Day. But we do really lousy with Veterans Day. So what I have found is that people that have had horrible things happen to them, veterans, people losing family members to cancer, Alzheimer's, they can relate with Star coming back. Like we all want to look at Rich Strike, the horse with 80 to 1, whether we're horse racing people or not, and go, you know what, an underdog can win. What do you think it is about dogs? Like they call like dogs a man's best friend. Yeah. I've always had one. My, my grandmother, it, it was crazy. She was perfectly fine. Dog died. Two, perfectly fine. Her dog died. This dog drove her fucking nuts. Right. Like constantly waking her up, <laughs> constantly. I mean, just fighting with this dog constantly. That dog dies. Two weeks later, she's got stage five ovarian cancer. So now, later in life, <clears throat> my mom got can- cancer a second fucking time. Lost the dog. Got her a dog. D- drove him down there. And I really think that kept her going. The third time, she was just done. But- I, I think the dog, I think it keeps people alive. Not only does it keep 100%. people alive. Not only does it keep I've actually people, seen it with my own eyes. Tommy, here's what we know. I mean, we have war on TV now, okay? We see the people in Ukraine that have been bombed out of their homes, and we see them with their dogs. We see them looking for their dogs. Or I've been there with tornadoes, and people could lose everything they have, and the dog comes back home after a tornado. So I am on the right track. I, you know, made such a big deal about Star. For every once in a while, you're going to get some blowback by non-dog people, and it's it's and it's really subliminal because the people that have reached out to me have been in places, whether it be Vietnam, you name it, and they've seen some stuff, and they wanted to hug Star. And you know what? We all have different traumas. And we've all been through a lot of shit. I don't have a cornerstone on wanting to talk about my problems. There's no shortage of people out there that have problems, but not everybody's willing to talk about them, okay? There are people that don't want to communicate this stuff that they've been hurt by, but guess what? Star, they can hug Star. The way a lot of people, I read like the New York Post comments when Rich Strike won the 80 to 1. I never seen people so emotional because we all want hope. We all want to see the underdog win because there's a little bit of us in every underdog. Well, look at Star, right? Shot, homeless guy, eating on the street. Then then think of a vet that was shot, gets out, no help coming out of the military, fought for the country, no slowly into society, fucking a mess, usually turns into an alcoholic or drug, because they, they can't just go from all that shit to this. Yeah. You know, but then if you give them a dog, though, for whatever reason, in my opinion, <laughs> because there's a relation, I mean, you know a dog is actually in the bear they come from bears yeah and then to wolves and then yeah. to, you know so we've been playing with fucking dogs forever you know bears been around forever and forever you know what i mean so i just think through evolution and just that comfort of a dog you know it doesn't talk back it's not too little like a cat it's just it's perfect just, it's just tommy, perfect right tommy i should get one of those big ass things it's perfect. but if you're a big dude you know you know i know i'm doing the right <laughs> thing tommy because it's impacted a lot of lives and i've really been around stuff that I would have never been privileged to. So I had this dog change my life so that I could do better things. So this happened in 2012. I wind up finally adopting the dog in 2013. I say to the city of New York, look, 
I want to watch this dog for the rest of my life or her life. You can't just give it to anybody. If the dog wound up biting somebody, you get sued. So I wound up with the dog. I put up the eight-foot fence like we talked about last. My neighbors think I'm crazy. The judge, I'm around nice, normal people in Nebraska. Judge, I'm around big real estate guy. I'm around a uh, professor. So I got this crazy story, but I got this pit bull. Eventually, I find out it's a famous dog living in their backyard. And um, by 2015, I no longer could do the trash. I no longer could just do what I thought would make me happy. I want to hang out with the dog. And I want to do more stuff with the dog. And the dog really gave me everything, Tommy. Um, I'd like to take a break right now. Yeah. You got to the bathroom? Yeah. All right. All right. You feel better now? Went to the bathroom? Yeah. Got a little bit better? Okay. Yeah. The the bladder of a 57-year-old. So explain <laughs> what happened. Uh, you got Star, and then, unfortunately, when, Star passed away. Well, got Star. We, we got her in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Years of good living with her and fun and doing a whole bunch of stuff. She did get cancer, transitional cell carcinoma. It was diagnosed. We gave her uh, everything the vet wanted to give her, which was good because she started to recover. She literally, the tumor started shrinking, and she was doing okay. I took her to New York City. I took her to Freedom Tower. I did a lot of things with her, and things looked hopeful. But unfortunately, on um, February 19, 2021, I went to give her a bath. And as strong as she came into this life and stayed, she left. And uh, when you say she was getting stronger, right? She yeah, was getting stronger. She was. When was the turn south? Well, here's the thing, Tommy. Uh, Jen did all the research as to what holistically we could do for the dog. We had um, diagnosis, prognosis, and we were doing what we could to prolong her life. And she, the tumors started to shrink um, with some holistic uh, care. And what a completely different diet. Now, this dog was already uh, a dog that was finicky eating, but we did everything we could to give her quality of life. <clears throat> and dogs, I don't believe you get cancer-free. I think that you extend life or you get cancer-manageable. Humans could go into remission. Uh, dogs are not the same as far as I know. No. Why, why do you think that they can't? Maybe we can't either. Who knows? But the dog seems to be, they live, their life is seven times faster than ours. So think about that. If they're living that much quicker. It's going to grow that quicker. Yeah. So if they have one month of remission, that'd be seven months of remission in a human. So any day with a dog after she got a cancer diagnosis was great. But she died. And um, I'm done to crying over this. This is the reality of what happened. I'm living in a solution now. And the solution is her legacy. And the solution is that after she died, I didn't leave the house for a very long time. But filmmaker David Hoffman, who became a friend of mine, who did the video, The Luckiest Dog That Ever Lived, came back to life. He said, Charlie, you must make something good out of something bad. And that's how we met Tommy. We've been continually to tell her story. Children's book. My story it ties into her story. Cartoon. Song. And I'm going to continue telling her story. To remind people that there's always hope and life has a way of giving us a second chance by giving us tomorrow, whether you're religious, spiritual, or just want to look at life methodically. If you get tomorrow, you got a new chance. So when there's no life, there's no chance. So 
That was the message I got from her. And I'm in a place right now that I'm okay. I got to tell you, there is healing. And I think that this is important. I would have done everything when I was using drugs and alcohol not to feel. And that would have been all waiting for me. So I felt every bit of her passing. I have accepted it. And I've cried over it. And I've healed over it. I'll never forget her. But my life that she gave me, writing a book, even going to newspapers.com and hearing about, you know, what my father's real story was, why he was such a maniac, (laughs) (laughs) and learning that, you know, French connection, imbroglia, and the whole thing that went along. The guy that I thought was my godfather was a human crime wave. (laughs) I mean, you guys- He was a part of the French connection? Yeah, he did in 1980. uh, They were looking for him. The FBI was looking for him for a $100 million synthetic heroin ring. Your father? No, uh, imbroglia. Oh, but they um, also mention he's most notable for uh, his participation in the French Connections. This guy was a dangerous guy. And when he was arrested with my father in 1956, he was already a three-time felon, already had been locked up in 49 in Missouri, New, New Jersey, New York. He was a human crime wave from 1949 till he died much later in life. I made it all the way to about 2006. <clears throat> but that's their story. But the dog helped me. He realized if it wasn't for the dog, I would have never wrote a book. And if it wasn't for the book, I would have never went to newspapers.com. Because I like stuff to be factual. Because I'm one of these guys that I watch a YouTube video and I'm doing Google at the same time. Because I want to put all the pieces together. You're a fact checker. I'm a fact checker. Just the way Wikipedia is. Wikipedia, you got to put a citation in. If you make a claim, let's see where you got the information from. Do they offer dogs like chemo and radiation? They do. They do. You didn't. You guys didn't want to go uh, that route? At that time, we were, we were, between her diagnosis and prognosis, they were talking about it and giving us options. And um, she got the prognosis in January, and she was dead in February. Oh, so you didn't even really, even if you wanted to do it, would they even have had time to? They may have, but the thing was, she didn't look sick. She looked well. But... The song talks about it. When she was ready to go, Tommy, she was ready to go. She just left. And she left in her in my arms. And I told Jen, I'm not a morbid guy. I don't go to funerals. I don't go to wakes. I don't like that. I like to remember people when they were alive. And um, same that way. might be selfish, but I think when we're gone from this body, it's just a vessel. Same way. I want to remember the person walking around, yeah. laughing. I don't want to remember I fucking some cat yes. kid and everybody's crying with black on I, I'm not, and I've been called selfish too, but I just don't like to see that. I like my last memory of that person to be, I don't know, laughing or doing something stupid. Well, I'll tell you this, Tommy. I told Jen I, w- I want a photo of me and my dog after she passed, and Jen goes, she looks contorted because she gassed a few times and left. I went on the couch, I sat with her, and the air came out of her lungs, and a smile came to her face, and that's my personal picture of the rest of my life. This dog not only changed my life, she saved hundreds of dogs from euthanasia. She lives on through children and children's books. She's got a book written about my life and her life. She's got a song about her. She's going to have a cartoon. Wait to hear that cartoon. And I believe there will be a movie. Now, I got to tell you, um, uh, Sony called, uh, you know, I, 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 people say they kid around and they say, look, Hollywood's going to call as a kid. Really, Hollywood did call because an executive from Sony did call me a couple times and told me what needed to be done. And so I can put that on mine. I got the emails like, you think you could get that cartoon out in like thirty days? I've heard Coco Melon for well, fucking. Well, I tell you what, I think thirty <laughs> days. I think thirty days is short, but I tell you what, it's needed, Tommy. I'm these kids, these, these these kids need to see. Yeah, we'll go. An imperfect dog, dealing with life on life's terms, 
And this world we live in today, which has got no instruction panel. Anything else on your mind, Tommy? I cover I covered a lot here. Well, you're a big yeah. businessman, so I want to know what you. How does the inflation get under control? What What's your stance on that? Well, it'd be very tough to get into business right now. It'd be very tough uh, to stay in business right now. And these numbers are so inflated. Let me use the trash business, for example. I have guys that are in trash business that contact me. Let's just say a 20-yard dumpster, they're used to paying 5500 for one. They're paying seven, $8,000 for a dumpster. They got to pass that cost on. How do you move freight, dumpsters, trash, you know, you signed up a contract with a company for a yearly contract locked in for a price. Diesel's over $5 a gallon. How do you operate like that? I never thought about that. So, so what? Ha- so Charlie, what happens then? So if you're in a contract with somebody, you're fucked. You're just fucked, right? Because they you, can you, sue you. You, you. you can't, you know, the, there's no ability to go back on a lot of these contracts, especially the big ones. When you're dealing with big companies that you gave me a yearly contract, even if you can go back and say the contract was written that there'd be a fuel surcharge in there. At this level, I don't think you're going to unlevel it, but let me say this too. This thing's also got profit 19. Because in a lot of cases, people are getting dinged for every, the consumer's getting dinged for everything. Because a lot of times, maybe the dumpster did go up. Steel went up, fuel went up. But did it go up truly $3,000? Or is there a profit extra margin in there? And a lot of times when people are in panic, there's, as we know, price gouging. So this is a tough time right now. And medicine, people don't know if they're coming or going, and they're very untrusting. And, you know, in 2022, you get the news of your choice. I don't care what you believe in. If you don't like this view, you go listen to this news. If you like this view, and I don't get into that, Tommy, but I have to a little bit. My, my fellow human beings really divide it. Now, me, on the other hand, I get up every day, and I'm grateful I got another day. I really am. From where I came from, I still never minimize that. Charlie, what's P19? What is it? A profit 19. I think. It's oh. just a, just a, I hear a lot and, of people. And what is that? Basically, Instead just of like COVID, a way to inflate? It, well, COVID-19, they turned it to profit. Oh, profit 19. Profit 19. Yeah, it's COVID. Now it's profit 19. So how how would a how would a uh, trash business survive right now? If you're in all these con, say you did contracts three years ago and you did five year contracts at such and such price, not expecting gas to go up, you know. Okay, let's just talk about massive it. amounts. Right. So right now, drivers are at a premium. CDL drivers are way up. So the, the the trash company has to turn this burden onto other people. So when the roofers call, the dumpster prices have gone up. When somebody calls and they're starting a business and they need trash service, the numbers are way up. This goes to the consumer. The consumer's quality of life at the end of the day gets less and less and less. And look what happens. So the consumer has to make cuts in their budget. And what are they going to cut out? They're going to cut out entertainment. They're going to cut out vacations. They're going to cut out that new car because you can't buy a car right now. They're going to get the most out of everything they have right now. Because right now they're in survival. I lived in survival mode. Now the middle class people are living in survival mode. And I think this is just the beginning. I think it's just the beginning too. Why would it get better right now? It's not. Why? So it's a very tough time to live right now. And I think that um, the only way to come out of this is one better, better count their blessings right now of whatever they have. Um, And... The disparaging 
difference in wealth in this country has changed tremendously. It's a beautiful country. It gives a guy like me that made a lot of mistakes the ability to go out and make a heck of a living. Well, it did. It did. It did. I don't know if that's... I don't think it's capable anymore. I don't know if that How how would it be? Well, here's the thing. You may be that kind of business, but there's such... I mean, the public is tough on millennials, but millennials got their own mind and their own mindset, and they come up with new ways and new ways to make money. I mean, I mean, my daughter dates a, a very well-known gamer. I mean, this guy games for a living. I know, I know. And he makes a, I mean, God bless him, man, but holy cow. I, I mean, think there's just going to be certain niches yes. that work and everything else is controlled by the government and then everybody has to lean on the government and they control everything. Did you see that after all this inflation, what he wants to do? He just asked for how many millions, billions to uh, make internet free for everybody or or $30 for everybody, like Wi-Fi? Like he he wants to take out I forget how many millions or billions where everybody in the U.S. the cap for Wi-Fi is thirty dollars. He has that he has that uh, well, up for Congress or Senate or whatever. Tommy, what's more important than this? Him, not, her, his is that the American people have got to come together. I mean, I'm older, a lot older than you, and there was a time when people had civility amongst each other if they voted for somebody. That was the opposite of their candidate. They rooted for the country. America first, root for the country. We got some issues to get through. But the news does the same thing they do with the pit bulls. Now, I read the book, The Art of Thinking Clearly. So unfortunately, I can't be bamboozled anymore with these headlines. So if you tell me heartworm is killing all of America's dogs, I'm going to take the afternoon I'm going to call up all the major shelters in the, in the U.S., take me half an hour to do this, see what the statistics are for how many dogs came in, how many had a heartworm, and I'm going to be able to draw my own conclusions if heartworm is killing all these people. I'm not going to let the media tell me what's going on. But that's you, and you're one well, in a million. I may be one in a million, but I think you are two, and your audience is big. If the audience is still here, comment in. Let us know what you're thinking, because it's important to get people involved in this and to think locally, globally, and nationally. And I'm going to tell you something. We have nuts in this country on both sides, and any extremist is someone that I certainly don't want to be any part of, near anything. So we go back to the prison. Not everybody is Charlie Manson, and not everybody is the guy that's making the headlines now for these awful crimes. I don't want to give any energy to that. No, but you can't fix it if you can't, if it's rigged and there's no integrity, you can't fix it. Well, have you watched 2000 Mules? I I did watch it, and it's, you know, I got to tell you something. Again, (laughs) again, Tommy. I, I, I'm not a political, but I have questions. And that this isn't political. Yeah. This, we're watching facts. Yeah. A guy had a trillion, what do you have, a trillion million hours of video yeah. of, I mean, I mean, of 40, at these Walmarts. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, you can't make that up. Well, you know, it, you know, I, and I, then they I, I, as, I, as a guy that watches this and I say, okay, let me look at this. It's 1.30 in the morning. Let me look at this like I would be a correctional officer. Okay. You got your husband's vote. You got your sister's vote. You got the lady across the street's vote. How many votes are you putting in this box? And why are you wearing gloves and then taking them off? If you wore gloves, why are you ta- I-, I have questions. 
Well, remember they said that they started yeah. checking the fingerprints. Well, the thing is this, Tommy. Unfortunately for me and those that are in my position, I, I can't, I can't give my energy to this because it will get me aggravated in one way or another. I have to leave this to other people. And my strength is in picking up my fellow human being. I'm like a, a soldier that went to war that got injured, and I've been injured. And I, I, I really, I mean, I can get fired up. Look, I heard everybody my whole life talk about the Kennedy assassination. I got a man like a Carcano, had a lot of problems with the bolt. I've shot it way more times than Oswald ever could have because I've had it longer than him. And that thing doesn't go smooth. I mean, it's it's a it's a slow clunker. Everybody knows what. Yeah. So I went I went to Dealey Plaza and I went up on the triple overpass and I went behind the grass. You know, to I see did, if it was possible. I went. That I, is pretty I cool. Went, I went and did it all that. That's I went. Cool. I for, here's the way I do things. Instead of going to the museum, I went to the museum last. I said, let, let, let me not lead the witness. Me. Let me go up on the triple overpass and make your own opinion and make my own uh, suggestions on this in my own quiet way. But you know, one thing for the, I know I know people go back and forth on this on everything. That six point five, man, like a cockadoo—that's the proper way of saying that word. That bullet is an odd bullet. I mean, I've seen it and I've shot it enough times that it'll make a watermelon go the wrong way. It, some things happen. I mean, uh, I know people are going to say no way. No, you know, I uh, Clint Hills. Uh, I follow him on Facebook a lot, and I'm friendly with his wife that wrote a lot of books uh lisa mccuban i believe her name is and um i don't know and i was also friends with um and i got a uh signed autograph with me and star from uh jim uh i can't think of his last name right now i'm getting old right now myself the guy with the white the detective with the white suit and uh he just died he was like 97 98 years old that was handcuffed to oswald um but Oswald, he, but he, but he, but he, the problem is, you know, I, I talked, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff here and these are questions that can't be answered in a day and you wondered, and then there was a general Walker that had a 6.5 bullet lodged in his window pane. A lot of people you really like this JFK thing, huh? I really, I really spent, a lot of time <laughs> and I mean, Judge Walker's got a, a, a 6.5 Oswald did kind of admit that he took a shot at the Walker uh, back in May of the same year. Um, we don't know, but here's the thing. I mean, we could f- talk about this all day long. Did he have enough time to walk from his rooming house to get J.D. Tibbet, his Facebook group? I just, just wanted like to know about inflation, bro. That's yeah. all I was asking. I yeah. wanted to know what you thought. Hopefully, I, I don't see how I can... lose. Hopefully, I didn't lose your audience. No, nah, you didn't yeah. lose anybody. I, yeah. I, but I just wanted to know from you, from a business, what you thought of inflation. And going, and in my opinion, going after... Like, you know, me, you, and ABC would do something. That's not going to do anything. What is that going to do? Nothing. Um, it's not going to do anything. Uh, here's what's going to happen. You know, what's going on right now with Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, it's like a higher form of trading, of, of you do services. I mean, eventually, if inflation goes up that much, what will have to happen is, uh, Joe, you'll cut my hair. The neighbor's the barber. He'll cut my hair. I will get your lawns cut. We'll just start bartering. I mean, that's what will happen. And then the IRS will have to figure a way to put a bartering tax on something. But if you bring us down to primitive living skills, I mean, there's a problem here where we are supposed to be growing um, and with more research and going in a different direction. And, 
you know, people don't know if they're coming or going. I mean, I don't get into this whole mask mandate, this, that, that's people's business, but I'm not a doctor. I don't think in Florida when I see people outside by themselves wearing a mask or wearing a mask in their car, I mean, if they're trying to cut down on Botox, that's one thing, or if they have social anxiety, I think in fairness, Tommy, and I'm going to tell you this, for a little while, I didn't mind a mask because I got enough little social anxiety. You know, you put the mask on and you don't got to look that good, I guess. It's just like it's, you're your own person. You, you want to wear a mask, yeah. fucking wear a mask. Yeah. If you don't, don't. Yeah, you know? so I went through that. But uh, right now in business, I, I don't know how we're going to... We can't continue going this direction. And we can't keep on writing these checks. I mean, we're indebting ourselves to China right now. We've got to get this money from somewhere... And what is going on? It's all on purpose, in my opinion. It's all sabotage, <clears throat> sabotage, and then middle class has to depend on the government. The lower class has no no choice but to depend on the government. And then you have the rich, and then you have the government. And yeah. that's pretty much what you're going to see until robots come, and then you don't even need to worry about it. Well, I'll tell you what, Tommy. Sometimes with, with the cleanliness, and I'm a little anal, I wouldn't mind a robot serving me uh, at a restaurant sometimes. And me making, I'll tell you what. Other than the fact that it would just take me, more fucking jobs. Listen, 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 I know that. I know. And people are going to get mad at me. But <laughs> I, I got to tell you something. You know, I heard recently. Did you hear the thing on Arby's where the guy, the manager was peeing in the in the, um, in the in the uh the shake machine. I mean, no. I am real, man. And and here's something for the listeners. The cleanest kitchens in America are any kitchen in a prison because everybody watches what goes on. <laughs> that is the cleanest kitchen. I mean, you talk about a penitentiary, man. That's where you want to eat. The kitchen is spotless. We're all watching each other because we're scared something's going to be put in the food and we're all watching each other. So I like that type of cleanliness. So, uh, Tan, last word about Star... And, uh, you know, really the, the purpose and what you see in the next two or three years. As far as Star? As far as you and Star and, and what, where your life goes. Well, I'm hoping, Tommy, that I can, uh, through my book and through my works, help those people out there and find a way to find purpose. I, you know, I'm, I'm my age. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But I do know I do like talking about this scenario. And... You know, you're the only podcast that got me to talk about the goings-on of business and stuff. And that needs to be talked about because people will wonder and say, does this guy live in a glass, I'm not a glass house, does he live in a perfect world that you don't have to worry about this stuff? No, we all have to. Because we have family members, and when you feel, you can't have selective feelings, okay? If I'm, if I'm doing okay, but my neighbor's not, if my cousin's not, if this person's not, we all, high tide rises all boats. And we, this country was doing really well. And we need to come together. And the sooner we come together and the sooner we treat each other like human beings and stop individually identifying ourselves like Star was not a pit bull dog with one eye. She was a dog. She was a dog. Kids don't look at her and say, what breed a dog is that? Am I going to just think about the dog racism that's in this country? So anybody with any intellect and says to me, okay, Charlie, I think the pit bulls bite a lot of people. And I got the statistics, which of course, again, if you do statistics, I can make statistics go any way. So can you. So the statistics are flawed because you don't have DNA on the dog and anything's going to be with a bulky head is a pit bull. But if we did the statistics, we would find that the, what makes sense is a dangerous dog ordinance. And people that abuse dogs should never, ever own a dog again. And if a dog bites, it gets a strike against it. 
and it doesn't matter what kind of dog bites, gets a strike. And these people that have unruly dogs that are running, they need to be fined as if they're driving a car drunk. And it doesn't matter if it's only a pit bull. I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be bit by a King Corso, a German Shepherd, an Akita. Because I don't want to be bit by any fuck. I don't dog. want to be bit by any damn dog. And we need to look at it like that. And that would be sensible approach. Just like a sentencing. You asked me early on in this interview about Vic. We cannot sentence people out of emotions. And we have to have sensible approaches with everything. And there are a lot of people that shouldn't have house plants in their house because they're not going to take care of them, let alone a powerful dog. Very true. Couldn't have been said better. And I'll tell you what, if there's one person that could maybe make a, a stink about this is you. Thank you, Tommy. I really Who else could? As I, far as the as far as the dog situation. I mean, you're the only guy around. Thank you. Thank you. Because I you get are. I mean when people right? th- Who the hell else is around? I mean these people you know what it is? It's not so much the public hates pit bulls, it's who they think owns the pit bull. Yeah. That's not, the real right. problem. And that's where the race is. Let, let me not this other shit. Let, not comedy. Let me tell that's you, where the race is. In 2015, is. look this up, people. Um, Omaha, Nebraska had um, Labrador Retrievers. That was the number one dog. Everybody loves the hunting dog, Labrador. They were big biters. Because who owns them, or who people perceive to own them, that dog would never matter. And you're going to always get people that want to bash these dogs. I won't tell you. I want to bash the people that abuse him. And you know what? This is uh, maybe maybe the pit bull uh, in America needs to finish up their lives naturally. And maybe people shouldn't breed these dogs. These dogs are being bred in backyards where people have no business breeding anything, uh, let alone uh, putting a dog into society with no background. I mean, we know enough now in 2022, you don't have a gun without safety classes. You don't have a gun if you're not mentally stable. And you certainly don't have a dog that weighs 85 pounds that could bite and, and take a hand off if, 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 if it chose to like what happened to that lady in South Carolina. And that's just awful of all the advocacy work I do. And it takes one idiot that should not own a dog to do this. And then makes the reputation of that particular breed way worse than what it really is. It was one situation or then bred to be a mean, nasty... Exactly. Thing. And, you know, we could we could take all the videos on YouTube of the German Shepherds turning on the police handlers. And they're the nicest dogs in the and world. And the nicest... The German Usually. Shepherd. We could we could make a video tonight that would show German Shepherd after German Shepherd overbiting suspects and then turning around and biting the handlers. Now, if you weren't a dog guy, would you ever think that? I would think. there's If I didn't have a German Shepherd, I think, I think it's a German Shepherd. But you would never think like a German Shepherd would do that. You, you think... From the outside, you think of a German Shepherd as that friendly big dummy that right. comes and plays with you. And shit. No, yeah, but you you think that, and if these pit bulls were so dangerous and aggressive, why wouldn't the U.S. military use them? If these things are such a weapon, they would have them with them. They would have them in a minute. These things are biting through people. It's because the oh. dog, the dog, really started out as a dog that was on our gang comedy, and now we have a breed that has been made in backyards, and you know for. Every story we got, we got three million plus people that love their dogs, and um, 
at the end of the day, I have a lot less trouble with those dogs than I do with the Jack Russell. Oh, the Jack Russell. I got three I got three of them. These are three <laughs> bad news bears, okay? Uh, these guys are the bad news bears, and I got to watch them, so I keep busy with them. Uh, and I also have about 100, and he's not a pit bull because a pit bull only weighs 35 to 40 pounds. I got a pit bull mix that's 100 pounds that's powerful that I got to tuck in the bed at night, put pills on him. <laughs> I wrap him up. I wrap him up. He takes food gentle from me. Uh, Jen has TV night with him. The fuck is he mixed with? He's he, 100 pounds. Uh, he's 100 pounds. He's probably a uh, cane corso and a pit, a pit bull. Dinosaur, maybe? I don't know, but he's fast. <laughs> Man, I got a video of him racing my 6.2. Uh, pickup truck and he he's beating me for 40 45 yards man. i believe it he's going so tommy i'm really grateful to be here today and talk about the good stuff we covered it all man awesome i i'm i'm excited for the the cartoon i am well, excited when that makes face buddy that is gonna be some shit and it's outside in the universe and these kids will have an app on their phones and they're gonna get goodness instead of getting bad news you're gonna get goodness and you're going to see the characters of these dogs that Jen took all the time to have these dogs illustrated properly and all these scenarios that have happened in the house and the dog park over the years. And we got it all to bring to kids and for kids to tell their parents about how these dogs interact with each other. You might as well start on the metaverse, too, because that's next. Then you can yeah. put the glasses on and you're hanging out with fucking Star, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's coming. You're that not denying coming. that one. No, no, no. So I appreciate you making the trip. We'll definitely have another one. Even if it's before the cartoon comes out, we'll go straight business. Okay. Because I like to pick your mind about business because how you can go from where you were to CEO and then boom, just make a, a tough industry. You know, yeah. trash industry isn't something just no. somebody can walk into. Plus, you have a lot of problems with the state because they have their territories. Compliance. Compliance. DLT. Deals. Monopoly times a million and all kinds of other interesting and shit. And you got to babysit the trash trucks because they'll get sabotaged early. It doesn't matter if you're doing trash in Brooklyn, Staten Island, or Omaha, Nebraska. The trash industry is a tough industry because there's money on the line and there's money to be made. And it's the only place a guy with no education uh, could go out and work as hard as he wants to make as much money as he wants. And that could really change lives. Would you say it, that that's still an, available now, like an option that could be done or, or is that just sabotage? No, no, I would never say no, because the minute I say no, it'll be proven. It just would be tougher. And, you know, in other ways, Tommy, the new generation smarter. Because maybe um, someone would say, Charlie, I know how to get the money to buy an established trash business, and I wouldn't have to buy one that's from scratch. So maybe if a guy or a girl wanted to get a trash business that was established, and they could borrow the money, then they'd be in business tomorrow. And maybe that would work better for them. Yeah, and then they could find a niche to make it different than everything else. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we got we to gotta do a business one, just straight business. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. I know this is always tough. You know, it'd be tough for anybody, but great job, man. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tommy. Wish you the best. Okay. Thanks, Charlie. Mm -hmm.